1: With our fighting spirit,
2: we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown,
1: and through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Cricket Badger IPL Daily Podcast 2021, the Indian Premier League 14th edition. It's great to have you with us. From the first match all the way to the final, Chennai Super Kings delhi capitals kolkata night riders mumbai indians punjab kings rajasthan royals royal challengers bangalore Sunrisers hyderabad may the best team win brought to you in association with who knows wins put your money where your mates are and play along with the cricket badger Hello, everybody. Welcome along. It's another
3: edition of the IPL 2021 Daily Podcast. I am James the Cricket Badger, and it's a Cricket Badger IPL Daily with a slight difference today. As I've been saying over the last few podcasts, we're doing this one for charity. There is uh, an initiative, uh, well, I'm sure everybody knows who Captain Tom was, sadly died. But after his 100th birthday, he did 100 laps of his garden. And his family have done over this weekend, uh, Encourage people to do things by multiples of 100 to try and raise funds for charity. And we're going to throw our weight behind an Indian charity, Children in Need in India, because obviously, the covid thing that's going on at the moment everybody's struggling over there in india and uh, longer term the kids are going to suffer aren't they and uh, hopefully we can raise a few quid to help out the children of india who are going to sadly i think lose parents going to find themselves in uh, in desperate straits some people so uh, we need to think about them and hopefully if you can just donate a pound two pounds five pounds it's more the merrier um, but uh, be nice to think that we could raise a few quid to help out the people of India. I'm joined at the moment by Anand, Abai, Claire, and Nakul. We're going to start it off like a normal IPL daily. And we'll start off with uh, match number one that we saw today and uh, start off with Nakul. Um, We saw Rajasthan Royals knock up 220 for three and Sunrisers Hyderabad falling short by some margin in the 165 for eights. But the biggest talking point of the day, Joss Butler, 124 from him, 64 balls, 11 fours and eight sixes. And it's fair to say
2: that he wasn't even in top gear for most of that innings. No, the split is quite remarkable. His first 37 balls, 42 runs, 6.8 runs and over. Last 27 balls. 82 runs 18.2 runs and over. <laughs> it was almost like a microcosm of how you play against the sunrisers because I don't know if he played out Rashid Khan exactly because there were a lot of reverse sweeps that he missed but he wasn't trying to take on Rashid Khan. He has a particularly poor record against him. they the sunrisers went hard at him and Jess and Samson early two from booby two from Rashid Khan in the power play. No problem with that it was a bold call from them and no problem with that whatsoever. It didn't quite work. And once Butler got set and once they knew they didn't have Rashid Khan, he just exploded. And for the latter, yeah, 27 balls of their innings, there was no way you could bowl at him. Uh, It was absolutely breathtaking. Yeah, he he was climbing into everything,
3: wasn't he? And I heard one of the commentators saying, this is the perfect example of why... Josh Butler should be at the top of the innings. For England, he bats now as an opener. But there's, I think the opinion's quite divided about whether he's better as an opener or coming lower down. I know myself and Neil on these podcasts are a fan of him coming in lower down because we think England have got people that can do that job at the top of the order and he can do the finishers job as well as anybody else. And in many ways, that innings today didn't actually prove that he should open because he was quite slow to start with. And then as Knuckles said, he exploded once the power play had finished. So I don't think that was testament to anything, really. It was just a really good knock.
4: I think Indians, uh, England's the land of plenty, isn't it? They, they really have a lot of options to go at the opening. So with Beristow out there already, who's kind of you know giving that sort of fill up at the start, maybe Butler can come down the road with England. But I think for Rajasthan Royals, it makes sense for the best player in the squad to play the most amount of deliveries that he can. And Butler is also another person who doesn't need to take a lot of time to get set. I know today he did, but typically he doesn't. So, you know, you give him the most amount of balls and let him do the best he can. I think when it comes down to the England setup, there is maybe some discussion that needs to be had to say, okay, is there a chance for Butler to come up or are Roy and Baristow really the best options out there? And Roy, again, it depends on the form. So I think it's an interesting discussion, but again, England have a lot more options. So I don't think it's necessary for him to play at the top. Whereas here at Rajasthan Royals, he's absolutely needed at the top.
3: Claire, we saw the Sunrises um, axe David Warner for want of a better phrase he didn't even play today in the 11 but it was the same old story for the sunrises sometimes um, a change isn't always the best thing is it
5: well yeah i guess it's difficult to bring in a change and then expect them to perform at, to the at the top of the game straight away so maybe you have to give them a little bit of leeway for that but yeah it was all change and it didn't really make that much difference so yeah i don't really know where they go from there I guess if they get, if they're happy with the team and the team's settled, at least they can go again without sort of chopping and changing. It's, but, a stra- um, it's
3: a strange one though, Claire, isn't it? Because David Warner is undoubtedly one of the best batsmen that's played in the IPL. You know, his record stands alongside anybody's. He's just had a couple of bad games, hasn't he? Wasn't it worth giving him a bit more?
5: Yeah, because even though he's had bad games, it's not like he's scored nothing, although he's absorbed a lot of, balls to score the runs he scored so but I guess if you take the captaincy off him and then he's playing under a different captain what have you actually achieved by doing that I guess they're just again still tinkering with it and trying to get the right formula so hopefully for them they can um, pull it together
3: Our boy David Warner's obviously taken one on the chin there for the team there he's been relieved of the captaincy but he was running around with his bib on today doing the 12 man duties um, showing that he was a team man which is good to see
0: Absolutely. Uh, I heard Simon duol say that you know he he might not be uh, the the best captain, but he's certainly one of the best leaders. So I'm sure you know, sitting at the sidelines, also he wanted to contribute in the best possible manner he could. So um, yes, would be very difficult for him to digest. You know, he's done so much for Sunrisers. He's uh, he's a face of Sunrisers. So it would have been very difficult. And uh, that's but that spirit was still there in Warner to contribute in whichever way he
3: could. You say he's the face of Sunrisers. Every time I go to watch a game involving the Sunrisers, probably from now on in the rest of the tournament, I will see a picture of David Warner because they're using the captain's photos. And I don't think they'll probably change them. So David Warner is probably going to be on my screen quite a lot over the uh, next few weeks without maybe even playing. Um back to Knackle, um Mustafizur Rahman, 3 for 20 from his four today. I thought he was exceptional and the slow-mos on the replays showing his wrist action with the slower ball um, and his different variations as a pace man. I thought that was
2: pretty impressive. Yeah, he almost bowls it out the back of the hand like a, um, like, a like a spin bowler. Even more so than a left arm finger spinner, he really does whip that wrist and it is remarkable. Um, I think the slow-mo is probably a little bit misleading because he's got a very quick arm action. So actually, although you do get a sight of the the back of the hand for the slower ball you don't get much of one in real time because the arm comes over so quickly he was excellent uh, again was was more stuffy. so I was very impressed with Karthik Tiagi as well really ran in hard but all those hard lengths I uh, was impressed with him during the Under-19 World Cup uh, bought a few slower balls towards the death I, I really like the look of him He's a, he'll be a lot of fun to watch uh, and and Chris Morris again did, did well with the ball although admittedly uh, the game was kind of done by then I do want to say on something on the Warner thing though We've talked a lot about the overseas balance of the Sunrisers and we've talked about the players you can't drop. Can't drop Rashid Khan. Kane Williamson's been in pretty good form. Johnny Bairstow you can't drop because he's your only aggressive and high quality top order player. The only way to get an extra overseas bowler, which they desperately needed or or, or an all-rounder into the squad, was to drop David Warner. So it is unfortunate that someone who has contributed so much has had to miss out, but he's yeah. not been in good form this season. No, it, but it's, it's a strange one though, Knuckle,
3: isn't it? Because we've been talking, I mean, we talked a lot through last season's IPL and probably in previous editions as well, that the Sunrisers have got a, a plethora of overseas talent and how do you actually put them all into the side? Do you think when it comes to the next auction, they're going to have to look at themselves again and, and try and maybe get an A-lister and a B-lister behind him rather than seven or eight A-listers?
2: Well, it's more which positions they are because there's a lot of top-order players. Jason Roy probably won't play this season, which is... And he only came in as an injury replacement for... Who was he? I no, think Mitchell Marsh pulled out of the tournament. so uh, So Jason Roy came in. And, and there was talk of Jason Roy that if um, if David Warner
3: um, dropped out for, because he's been struggling with a groin injury for a while, hasn't he? Um, Jason Roy was going to be his reserve, but obviously that place is gone now. So Jason Roy's probably even further away from that first eleven now than he was
2: before. Which wouldn't have made any sense. There's no point dropping David Warner for another opener. Uh, that doesn't make any sense the curious thing was obviously they only used Muhammad Nubby in the 15th over when Butler was already set I don't know if they were waiting for a left-hander to come in but that was a curious one you know, he batted well but the game was kind of done by then I, I like Muhammad Nubby, and I think he is he can be a match winner so we'll see how that uh, goes I've also got Mujib who has been unlucky in the in the teams he's ended up in I, the mega auction for them is going to be really interesting next year who they retain and who they uh, who they let go and how they rebuild this team that has been so good for for so long and so consistent um but yeah I Mustafizur was was excellent um I still don't think Rajasthan have enough to trouble to make the playoffs it'd be interesting to see how uh, and if Gerald Kutsia comes into the team, the South African under-19 bowler, he is quick. I a little bit in the under-19 World Cup and a tiny bit in the Mzansi Super League, uh, and he is quick, but a bit wild. So it could be, it could be quite fun. I mean, at least they have another overseas player now who's fit, because the, for the last few games uh, they've only really had, they've only in fact had uh, Morris Miller, Butler, and Zour. And what next for Sunrises? They're, they're starting to become. Not, well,
3: yeah, a drift at the bottom, aren't they? Just two points from the seven games played so far. We're effectively for them halfway through this league season and um, they need to almost go on a um, sort of champion's run from here on to stand a chance, don't they?
4: They certainly need to. And I think they might be need to, again, think around with the composition of the team. They've already done some of that, obviously with the dropping of Warner, but it almost feels like the Indian contingent has not contributed as much as they expected. So Abdul Samad, you know, there's a lot of, You know, youngster. Uh, Obviously, a a lot of faith placed in him. I don't think he has, you know, quite clicked. But again, you know, he's young, so maybe he has chances going forward. Uh, Vijay Shankar, also, although he has contributed the ball a couple of times, he hasn't done much with the bat, and neither has Kedar Jadav. So then it comes down to them having just Manish Pandey, who's been doing okay, just without being as aggressive. So they got to figure out what to do with that Indian contingent and how do you get them to actually contribute? Because I don't believe it's been that great.
3: Claire, you're a Yorkshire fan. We've seen a bit of Kane Williamson at Headingley we? And uh, well played to Yorkshire, by the way, winning by one run in the county championship Yay! today. I've, I'm off Twitter this weekend and it's driving me mad because there's been so much happened this weekend. I've wanted to tweet about in this social media boycott and that Yorkshire one run win was one of them. I'd have been all over Twitter with that, but I just, I've i been good. I've kept off it. Um, But um Kane has obviously taken on the captaincy for sunrises off David Warner. It's almost like a, a free pass, isn't it? Because if they don't pick up too many more points, the team's just carried on as it was doing. If he suddenly gets them reignited and they start to climb the table and even you know, make make the playoffs, then he's, he's worked wonders.
5: Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, you sort of answered your own question there, I guess. Yeah, well, I'd be quiet, the right then he, I'll move
3: on. <laughs>
5: well, I just, what more can you say? Yeah, if they if he picks them up, everybody will say Kane's brilliant. And if he doesn't, they'll say, you know, he's not that brilliant. But they're a side that's already on in poor form, bottom of the table. So, in order for them to progress and like really pick it up, it's got to be a whole team effort, even though he's captaining them. So, I guess all they can all do is just, you know, do their best and.
1: I thought you were going to say pray. (laughs) All they can do um, is pray.
5: (laughs) Well, yeah. uh, But like you say, if it's either going to be, it's all or nothing. They've got to win consistently for the whole of the rest of the tournament. And if they do that, um, that'll be down to Kane Williamson being brilliant. And yeah, if they don't, you know, they don't.
3: Abai, we're on to question number 10 with you um, of tonight's podcast. So we're a tenth of the way through to the end. Um, and Knuckle already mentioned Rajasthan Royals. He doesn't think they might have what it takes to make the playoffs. But if they've got the likes of Sanju Sampson firing, Joss Butler firing, and the bowling attack that Knuckle um, went through very well, They have a little bit of a sniff, don't they? They've probably got more than a sniff than I gave them for at the start of this competition.
0: I think at the start, they came with a lot of hopes because they uh, had great auction. But uh, after the, you know, uh, like before the start of the tournament, I meant. And after the start, it was dull. Uh, In the last podcast, we discussed all their worries and all the issues they have. And they were a lot. But now it seems a bit better because... Sunrisers are struggling Punjab
1: uh
0: I, I I like I I wish they would have done well but unfortunately with KL Rahul's injury it looks little dull for them as well so suddenly Rajasthan might just you know challenge the uh, the for for the fourth position um I do agree with Nakul that uh, they're still not you know they they don't look like champion side yet because they, they depend on some individuals like Samson, Joss Butler, and a couple of uh, bowlers. Uh, But you never know. Uh, We've seen Sunrisers do it last season. They were quite at the bottom. And suddenly they they came third. I thought they were also better than Delhi at the end of the tournament because they got their combination working. So um, Rajasthan can certainly now uh, you know, aim for that fourth position with a couple of other teams really struggling.
3: Right, Royals then winning by 55 runs to date. Man of the match, obviously, Joss Butler for that terrific 124 from him. And that takes them up the table a little bit. They're now on to six points. Who knows wins? Download our app right now from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store and play against your friends with bragging rights and real money on the line. Who knows wins? Put your money where your mates are. Who knows wins in a league of their own. Punjab job, Kings. I'm losing today to the Delhi Capitals. The Capitals are marching on. In this tournament, very good performance by them. Punjab Kings, uh, 166 for six, they made in their 20 overs. Um, Mayan Kagawal was uh, terrific with the bat for them. 99 not out for him from 58 balls. Um, but it wasn't enough in the uh, in the end. Shika Darwin, doing what Shika Darwin does so often in the, these IPLs. 69 not out of 47, seeing the team home. And, Knuckle. it was a, a thoroughly professional performance from Delhi today, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, they just had too much for Punjab. They're a really good team, Delhi Capitals, um, and this is without probably some of the players who you might think are in their best eleven. Anrich Nortje, they don't have our, our, our Ashwin, um, who uh, his—I don't know if you follow his wife—is well worth a follow on Twitter. Preeti Narayan, and she's been talking about how she and a number of the rest of the family have been recovering from COVID, uh, so which is why Ashwin Ashwin left.
3: Yeah, I saw I saw the news story this morning that came out. I don't follow her on Twitter, but much of his family was positive for COVID, weren't they? That's why, very understandable
2: why he left. Yeah, six members of the family, uh, I think. Um, but yeah, um, uh, I Amit mean Mishra has missed part of the season. Aniris Norkia missed part of the season and hasn't actually played uh, yet this season. Umesh Yadav's has not been available for them. Uh, and but they and they still have Stephen Smith in a slightly odd role, but they have so much uh, ability and so many uh, players who just know their role really well and players who are doing better than they were last season, not least, be sure. Shaw. Uh, it obviously didn't help kale uh, Kale Rahul having emergency appendectomy you know two hours or something before the game that's going to rock any team and Mike just had no support at all uh, he, and he, he kind of batted like someone who knew that he, he didn't have any support it, it, it the pace picked up a lot towards the end of the innings but but it was it was it was stodgy um through through the early part of the innings not helped by the fact that Dal Milan, Sorry, uh, David, num- world number one T20 international ranked batter Milan uh, wasn't able to uh, wasn't able to kick on from his
3: slow start. Um, and- well, I was go- I was going to ask Anand about that actually because I saw his um, his comment on the WhatsApp group. David Milan, David Milan does what David Milan does. He goes to kind of twenty at a run a ball or less sometimes, and then starts to explode. We saw today he got out by playing a shot across the line, and um, where he's looking to hoik it over deep square for six, but it looked like he, he pressed the ignite button today and, and nothing came and he ended up a run a ball. That's what, that's the worry with David, David Milan, isn't it? That if he doesn't kick on from that foundation, he lays, it looks like a stodgy innings.
4: It, it sure does. And it's, it's that one of the things that we often talk about with T20 uh, batting and the role of that anchor and Milan plays that very well. Where it really works out is if you look at the English team, there's so many stroke makers around him that, Maybe apart from Stokes, who sort of starts slow to slow, and Milan, everybody else gets going pretty quickly. So I think in that team, Milan actually helps out quite a bit, and he's an excellent batsman for that. If Milan's going to take the role where he's going to play 20 balls and make 17 runs, I think that's what he was on today, that's where the issue comes out. If you get out after that, now certainly you've consumed a number of balls and you haven't done much good to the total. And we saw Mayank almost playing... Uh, one-man army today and Milan unable to, you know, get going. I mean, there was a nice six uh, over extra cover, I think, and, uh, you know, a couple of good shots, but he really wasn't able to get going. And that's that. There the that's, the that's,
3: what, that's what I was getting to with him. The, the His first 20 runs come at a fairly sedate pace in T20 terms, but you look at his T20 international record, and once he's past the sort of 30 ball mark or something in his innings, his strike rate is like 190 in T20 internationals. But... If he doesn't get to that stage, then it looks really slow, doesn't
4: it? Yeah, it, it looks really slow, and then also the best best option then is to move him up the order. But who do you take out? I mean, today maybe perhaps Simran Singh, you could move Milan up and make, actually have him open with the absence of Raul. But if Keralol, why, L. why is there, doesn't
3: why doesn't Gael open? Why, you know, you've got Mayank and Gale now. Obviously, with KL out the tournament, I'm going to ask Claire about KL in, in a second, but Mayank and Gale as the openers, Gale's made so many of his T20 runs as opener, and David Milan's at, at number three. That would make sense to me.
4: Today would have made a lot more sense to actually have Gale open. When KL and Mayank are around, just because they have that camaraderie amongst them and they play very well, it makes sense for Gale to come one down. But uh, today, actually, Gale would have made a lot of sense because Gale sort of goes slowly, but if Gale starts middling the ball, you know, it is, uh, it, it he he's going to catch up very quickly and uh, there's pretty much nobody like him. So today would have been a good option to have Gail up there and move Milan up to number three so that they, each of them gets enough balls to get going.
3: Question number 16 to Claire Sanderson, ah Punjab Kings fan on this podcast. And Claire, it was starting to look a little bit better, wasn't it? They were starting to, they'd strung a couple of wins together. It was looking a bit more positive for your team, but the news that we heard just before kickoff today that Cale Rahul was on his way for um, for a, a appendicitis or a burst appendix or appendic, appendigotomy or whatever it was that Knackle said. Um, that, isn't, <laughs> that isn't great, is it?
5: No, I mean, it's quite unbelievable. You know, he's the... Top run scorer, he was at that stage. You can, you know, you can tell hot, I'm not a
3: doctor, can't
5: you? <laughs> yeah, appendectomy. I've had one. That's the one. Not, not nice, and not that quick to recover from when you've got a big scar across your belly. So I'm not sure even whether he'll he'll come back. So yeah, uh, in a sense, I guess they're finding their sort of winning form. He's hitting a bit of form. His captaincy has seen them through this far, and then all of a sudden in, you know, a 24-hour turnaround period. He's gone. The scrabbling to find a captain and that uh, top order combination. I think like the guys have said, it would have been the perfect opportunity to give Chris Gale that opener position uh, and and get Milan in at three.
2: Sorry, can I ask you a question about that top order combination? What do you make? Do you agree with the dropping of Nicholas Pooran?
5: I think in order to get Milan in, Pooran would have to go. So, uh, even though, and uh, as James said, he was on a poor run of form. And what and what else can you do? Like, they Ba-bum. gave him chance after chance. Yeah, a bunch. Um, chance after chance. And he's just not scored. And it's really unfortunate. But to have Dawid Milan sitting on the bench while Poirin is not scoring was a shame. But I think, as, I'm not sure if it was you, Nakal, who commented earlier in the week, like, at least Poirin hasn't been taken up a whole load of balls to get any runs. He's been in and out and gone. Whereas Milan, sadly today, you know, he got to that platform stage and then he got out. Let's throw it it back to you, Knuckle
3: obviously, I would suggest that in the tone of your question, you're thinking that Puran shouldn't have been dropped.
2: I, there is so much upside with Nicholas Puran and maybe it's a selfish thing because I love watching him play. He's one of the most exciting players to watch in the world and I think he's one of those players. I, I was kind of thinking the same thing with last year when Maxwell wasn't going very well for Kings Eleven. It's a little bit worrying by the way that they're turning that two years yeah. in a row. We've had some fantastic two players of that quality not performing for large parts of a season. It's, it's like they take the magic beans and turn them into normal beans rather than it, the vice versa. Worse, three <laughs> years ago or from two years ago um, not just the kit um, I do I, I completely see Claire's point if you want to get the overseas bowler in and they probably and they definitely need one you then can't really have Gail Milan and Nicholas Poren I mean maybe they maybe they could I, well I suppose you could actually Steep Singh could come in and he's done very well this season so there's an option option there I, I, mean, I think it is probably it is partly just that I love watching Puran play it, but it's that you know the Purin's an explosive player the risk with him is that he gets out very quickly Milan is a slow build player the risk is that he doesn't ever get he doesn't get to the build stage so there's no there is no perfect approach and there is the uh, there are risks associated with both what are the good yeah, things and it's
5: not a like for like swap is it you no, know, it's not, not like
2: completely different. They, they both play
5: oh, yeah, re- yeah d- different approach, different roles. And so yeah, it's I, I guess it was a really tough call for the team. Yeah, I guess with KL going out, then you bring in somebody who's a bit more like him, but then to, for him to be batting Milan to be batting at four, it just it just feels a bit wrong at the top. So well, maybe M- that's
3: David M- David Milan just doesn't bat at number four, not, not in any team he plays for, it just makes no sense that to me. But I mean, one good yeah. thing, Claire, today was act, wasn't it? He batted beautifully.
5: Oh, absolutely. Um, And I think when they got to about 120-ish, I was like, you know, like, this is just falling apart because he'd faced so few balls. It was like, you know, what's going to happen from here kind of thing. And then he just, um, yeah, took flight, um, which is really nice to see. And I guess with the responsibility of the captaincy, I was a bit worried. I kind of questioned that a little bit in the WhatsApp group. Like, is this the best thing for him? Because he was out the last game. Him, so he's coming back in and the captain said but he really played a fantastic inning so that was really really good to see
3: who, who would have been uh, again, your captain
5: well obviously um, I'd have gone for Chris Gale but that's because I'm a massive fan of Gale but um, and because I didn't know what the other options were and I think he took over the other day when Kale Rahul was off the pitch Yeah. so it was kind of a case like is that going to be the obvious choice but, yeah, nice to see the youngster getting a go. And I thought, you know, overall, I felt like they did their best. And, you know, there was some really good bowling, good fielding. It was a bit like the other day. Was it the sunrises? Every ball that they hit seemed to go straight to a fielder. They just couldn't seem to find the gaps, hit the gaps. And it just, uh, until Mayank, yeah, like I say, he... Uh, but what a shame to be not out on 99. Oh,
3: Bless him! Bless his little cotton socks. Bless does, him. That, does anybody know if Mayank's um, got ke- previous captaincy experience that takes him above everybody else? Silence from everybody. Silence. I, just, I, mean, uh, I take it that's
2: a no then. I was just—I was trying to think. I was, don't remember him captaining for Karnataka. I certainly he's never captained sort of India or India A. But, uh, you know, as a, as Claire said, you know, he probably was the obvious option. I mean, I think Chris Gale is perhaps not as interested in leadership as he once was.
4: And, and to add to Knuckles' comments, I think Karnataka right now is captained by Robin Otapa. I don't think it's Mayank.
2: Right.
3: Okay. I, th- I thought it was nice, Abba. I don't know if you saw it prior to the uh, uh, the game today. Uh, obviously, every team does this around the world these days. They get in a huddle when the, a guy is going to make his debut... David Milan steps forward. Chris Gale was the man to give David Milan his cap today. And I don't care what who you are as David Milan. That's got got to be a memory that stays with you. Gale just st- strides forward, massive big beam on his face and hands over the cap after saying a few words. That's that's a pretty good memory for David Milan, I would think.
0: Absolutely. Uh, no words can describe uh, the universal boss enough. He's, he's a P20 star. He is an IPL star. He's a cricket star. So, uh, yeah, I have good memories for uh, David David Malan and he will remember this uh, for a long time. And of course, because uh, Gale is handing him over the cap and also he's making an IPL debut, which is also a very big thing for Indian and international stars.
3: Delhi Capitals have moved to the top of the table. 12 points they've taken from their eight games, which uh, from memory, going back into last season's table, that's pretty much almost qualification already for DC, I think. But um, 12 from 8, they are. They've played a the game more than the two teams beneath them, CSK and RCB, who are two points behind them. But it's points on the board for DC. And that they just keep improving year on year. They came third a couple of incarnations ago, obviously runners up last year. Have you seen enough from them this season to say that they can go one better and actually win the thing?
0: Absolutely. They should. Um, in fact, they would be very desperate to win the IPL because there'll be mega auctions uh, next uh, before the next IPL where every team will have to give away several players and you know reformulate their teams so this opportunity they will they will do their utmost to win this cup because they've also done a great job within this cycle you know uh, after the mega the last mega auction they re- they are the team who have really built they've learned from their mistakes as a daredevils former daredevils franchise they've learned from their mistakes and they've done all the opposite steps last three years to be at where they are. So yeah, as you said, uh, they tried in 2018, but they failed with Gautam Gambhir uh, taking over. And then Prithvi Shaw got his chance and, and uh, Shreyasaya took over. And now they've just been building on with Ricky Ponting. So looks good for this year and they'll really try their best so that they can win IPL this this time
3: around any of the rest of you think that delhi capitals are the team to beat from what you've seen so far
4: i think that would be a very fair comment wouldn't it dc just looks well balanced and at this point i think they they are the strongest contender for the title
2: they look really good and they've got a lot of options that they haven't even used the one thing i would say is that mumbai indians haven't hit top form yet
3: they were pretty good yesterday
2: well, Karen Pollard was. <laughs> yeah.
3: Uh, myself and Anand on yesterday's podcast, we were rather happy, I think, as uh, Rito salts as CSK lost. But um, yeah, I, I think Mumbai Indians are uh, definitely. I mean, I think, to be honest, if you if you look at the top, I'll, I'll run through the table properly um, so we can uh, look at the teams at the top. Delhi Capitals, I say, on 12 points. You've got CSK and RCB on 10 points now. Mumbai Indians have got themselves up to eight points after seven games. Uh, and then you've got in the non playoff places, you've got Rajasthan Royals and Punjab Kings on six points. So two behind Mumbai Indians. Then uh, two points further back, KKR on four. And Sunrise's Hyderabad rock bottom... probably a week or so ago now. Do you see Delhi Capital, CSK, RCB, and Mumbai Indians as the top four playoff place sides in this competition? I've, I've certainly not seen anything that's going to distract me from
2: that. I think they are the four best sides in the competition at the moment, Nakal. I would agree. Um, I think that KKR have upside. I think Rajasthan just don't quite have enough. I think they kind of played to their limit today. I think Punjab will be, will be a lot of fun to watch. And I think Punjab will not probably disgrace themselves I'm the one I was, This sunrises have not been no anywhere near as good as I thought they would be and there seems to be a little bit more of a gap developing uh, from the bottom to the top than there was last year but I mean last year I just looked at the table 14 points got you in the playoffs and 16 points got you in that top two, which is going to be important because obviously you get the, the second chance in the in the playoffs. So, I mean, Delia basically need one more win, really, or two more wins to probably get them into the, yeah, in probably, the, the tournament.
3: In, in a slightly more stretched table, it's probably two more, isn't it? But uh, yeah, they're very, very, very close to uh, claiming
2: that. So to... Sunrisers can only really afford to lose one at most two more games. Yeah. They're probably only one. I think these four are the strongest four teams in the tournament, um, with KKR and the sunrise is underperforming.
3: And, and we'd speak about a, a mega auction, and the mini auction that we had this time around was it lasted about three or four hours, something like that. A mega auction spans over two days, doesn't it? everybody's up for grabs, you can retain players, you can um, have the right to, to match um, if your player goes up and you can, you can match that bid and, and get him back. But a lot of business is going to be done. But over these next um, seven games or so for each of these teams, Six If You DC and, uh, and Punjab Kings, there's a few players that are playing in this tournament who are going to have to wave at other franchises, aren't they? They're going to have to basically say, I am worth you bidding on me next time around.
4: Yeah, definitely. Actually, uh, Shikhar Dhawan alluded to that just today, I think, during his interview that, uh, you know, the way his strike rate's been going, it certainly makes him a more valuable player. So uh, I I think that applies across the board. There are quite a few players who might be a little undervalued right now and who may not be regular members of other teams who might actually get a straight up role with uh, a franchise like, say, the Punjab Kings, you know we talked about the Sunrisers Hyderabad not having really very strong Indian batting contingent so is there a chance for somebody to get in there uh, I think the teams that need to be worried about this are going to be DC and CSK and MI because uh, especially MI because there's, there, there's there are a couple of folks in there I, I imagine the, who won't be retained but they're going to really get a lot of attention at
2: the auction I would there's think got, got, there's going to be like some vultures
3: flying across the uh, top of the auction table and they're picking out
2: a few of those because they pretty really early now Ishan Kishan to Punjab Sharp kings, Do you fancy that, Claire? Yeah, that sounds all right.
5: Get okay. him in a nice... But again, you know, where, what numbers are you going to bat at?
2: Well, that's the thing. Uh, well, he, I think... Uh, I mean, I think also Sunrisers will be looking at a player of his profile. Uh, I'd would, I would imagine all franchises mm-hmm. would consider him, wouldn't they? Well, just in terms of the profile, though, because of a, 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 an attacking Indian batter. In yeah. In yeah. Fact. Oh, so we're going to buy, yeah, though. Mumbai might playing him, though. Anyway, we're about six months early on this.
3: <laughs> um i mean claire the you you've been walking into that dressing room for me to give you team talks and stuff it's, it's a it's a little bit strange that after this competition the nature of the team that you've been supporting is going to look very different next time around isn't it because there will be co- quite considerable changes after a mega auction
5: it, it's a bit of an odd one for me because i don't the auction process is something that i'm more tuned into through you guys and listening to what's going on and um Punjab Kings, I guess, the reason why I followed them initially was because of the Yorkshire and the West Indies contingent that's in there. So hopefully that that might continue to get representation um, and then I'll still keep following them. So, um, yeah, I'd be interested to see the whole process through this time, whereas I think previously I've just like watched competition and not really paid too much attention to that whole auction process. So it's a learning curve for me and one that I'll be watching keenly.
3: Uh, Obviously, the end of a period, we've had an extended period this time, haven't we, because of COVID, but... It does feel like the end of a, an era in a way, the kind of lead up to a mega auction. Obviously, we, we've got still got weeks of this tournament to, to enjoy first, but it does feel like, yeah, we're going to be saying goodbye to a few players at the end of this this season and we're going to be certainly waving goodbye or, and watching team, players jump from one team to another over the next um, few months.
0: Feels very different. It's exciting as well. Uh, it's exciting uh, if, you know, the teams who are struggling right now, if they can stack up with some different players, their sides, so that you know they can also be competitive that's exciting uh it's not so so good for teams like mi and also i would like to mention dc because dc have followed mi's example and now they are very strong so they'll have a big headache to retain five players out of you know good 11 12 players and so many good indian players so yeah it's a different it's a different feel uh these mega auctions they are exciting as well as uh, the you know they change dynamics of all the teams i would say a good the the teams doing good as well as the teams doing not so good uh at the same time i'd also like to you know just mention in this chat that there there is a a strong case for two new teams to be added
3: good next point. year very good point and that's that, something yeah yes. is- and that that's going to make a difference, Abhi, isn't it? Because yes. um, there's going to be yeah potentially another. What what, what, what do teams have? Twenty five maximum in their squad, so that's another fifty players potentially.
0: Exactly, and then this Ishan Kishan discussion we were doing, and uh, you know uh, with Nakul and Claire, uh, I'd just like to say that if two new teams get you know launched next year, they'd buy Ishan Kishan before you know Sunrises or Punjab can get them can get him. So because they'll have more money. So you know these. Uh, different dynamics will get introduced if two new teams also come in in the mega auction.
3: In a way, that mega auction, Apai, it's, it's almost made it a little bit easier by starting with a clean sheet, isn't it? Uh, yes. Uh,
0: yes and no, uh, James, because we've seen earlier as well with a couple of teams were added earlier and they couldn't really do so well because uh, the continuity really matters. So the teams who retain about five players They still, and then they will try to retain a couple of more players also out of the existing team, you know, somehow by winning some bidding awards. It's not that easy for new teams to come in and, uh, you know, compete straight away because they'll build a franchise culture. They'll, you know, see who can be the core players. But of course, at the first go, they'll have more money to buy the best players uh, and they'll do their best, but it's not that easy. We've seen franchises struggle some franchises have done well but some have also struggled in the past.
2: It's been a while since we've had an IPL expansion because the last time we had new teams it was Gujarat Alliance and Rising Pune Supergiants in effect replacing Chennai yeah. The, in, suspended, the suspended side. I, I, was, I was. I was. I was going to ask you: Is eight enough, or should they have ten?
3: I mean, India's a big country. There's, we've seen so many youngsters coming through. There's bound to be another le- layer of youngsters that can fill these two new sides and stuff. But are, are we in danger of making it too big a tournament, and then by virtue of that, it's going to go on longer and longer?
2: I mean, that's the worry, isn't it? The last time there were ten teams, back when the Pune Warriors, India, and the ill-fated Kochi Tuskers Kerala were involved in the uh, in the IPL, I've forgotten uh, about them. Yeah, they didn't last very long. And uh, well, that, then the IPL was split into f- two groups of five. And uh, you played, I think, you played each team in your group once. And then I think each team in the other group, uh, sorry, you played each team in your group twice and the, each team in the other group once. So it meant that you didn't have as many games. Otherwise, as you say, the tournament would go on forever. It would be like the World Cup. Uh, for, uh, that we just saw uh, in 2019, which was a great tournament, but had absolutely nothing to do with the format. Uh, the fact that it was a great tournament. I mean, there's so many, I uh, you know, says, you know, these, the new teams will have a lot of money. Other teams know they have a lot of money. It's like, the, it's like the football transfer market. If you sell a massive player, like, you know, Barcelona sell Neymar, suddenly everyone knows they've got 140 million and like, you know, ex-center back, oh, he costs 20 million, sorry, no, 50. Uh, and, and this is the kind of thing that's going to happen. And they, you have to be very clear about what kind of team you want to be. Rising Super Supergiant essentially bought the core of the Chennai team, uh, for, a, to a, to a large, to a large extent and, and added quite well to it. Gujarat Lions bought every opener they could find and it didn't work. Uh, and, and we do see teams try and go for this kind of fantasy cricket idea. You have to be very clear about what you're, what you're planning to do. Uh, but there is going to be a lot of flux because you're not going to be able to retain many players. I think at most five or six players between retentions and right to matches. I, I was going to ask you just then, uh, Knuckle,
3: the, obviously the right to matches and the retentions and stuff, that benefits the existing sides, doesn't it? doesn't benefit a, a side coming in. So what what kind of provisions would there be for the two new sides to have something that counters that a little bit and levels the playing field a bit?
2: Either a lower number of retentions and right to matches, or you would get rid of the right to matches completely, or I don't know, a slightly bigger salary cap. I, I yes, they haven't. They haven't quite worked out exactly. Those details are yet to be uh, yet to be worked out. Are you going to so, jump in?
0: So what happened last time? Uh, Nakul mentioned about uh, rising Pune Super Giants and uh, Gujarat Lions. Uh, I, I remember, you know, the, uh, if, if you go further back, there was uh, you know Kochi Tuskers and uh, and another you know franchise from. Pune. The benefit the new teams will have, uh, I think Nakul, will also be that they'll have more uh, purse to spend on. So uh, the teams who've already, as you explained, you know, the, the, the teams who do uh, retentions will not have that extra purse. They'll cut that purse and the new teams will have more purse to spend on because they have not done done no retentions. And, and then that- right to match, match card, uh, the new teams will also bid a lot So the purse gets reduced for the ones who apply right too much.
2: And and that makes sense. Um, And that all makes sense. But the the mega auction forms a really interesting function. And it actually, it keeps the IPL competitor over longer cycles. You know, it's not like the... Teams, divisions that have and leagues that don't have promotion or relegation need some way of keeping the teams competitive and not just letting teams stockpile all the best players. And then, you know, an eight-team league with the same four, three, four teams winning every year, or the same two teams winning every year, will become really boring really quickly. uh, Correct. Which is the major problem with the European Super League, for example, in football. The draft, which they have in American sports, every year basically refreshes teams. IPL doesn't go quite that far, and maybe should. Uh, some other T Twenty franchise leagues do have uh, do have a proper draft system, but the mega auction forms that uh, provides that function of refreshing teams, keeping things competitive, and allowing teams to build and build and build back up. Which, honestly, I think the team that will be most annoyed about the timing of it is RCP because they finally got it right, and they'll only have them together for a year. Yeah, and they're going to be disbanded. Claire,
3: Claire how do you see it? I mean, we've obviously got used to eight teams over the last few years. Are you you happy with that, or are you happy to see two more?
5: My fear about the two more was, like everybody said, the length of the tournament, and it just kind of, I was thinking this is just going to go on forever, but if it is played in a, like, two-part thing, that sounds like a much better format. But I was just going to ask a question. If I'm allowed, on the Tom Moore 100 questions, Captain Tom 100. Is How many players do you retain?
3: Your question is going to be the 39th question of this podcast. And uh, just to remind listeners, we're doing this for the Captain Tom 100, raising money for children in need in India. Um, I haven't been tweeting over this weekend, so there isn't uh, any any posts that are, um, are recent to to suggest where to go to. I might have to scroll down the Twitter feed a little bit, but I'll put the link to the uh, donation page in my Twitter bio, and um, before this podcast gets published, so have a look on the at cricket underscore badger Twitter feed. You'll follow that link, and you'll get to the donation page to uh, raise money for the uh, kids in India.
5: I'm learning about this whole um, process, but how many players can you retain? Like, can you retain overseas players, young Indian players? You know, or what? How does what does that look like generally?
2: Well, they haven't decided yet for this for this. Oh. Um, <laughs> They it, haven't decided yet for for the 2022 mega auction. It's usually not very many. I think if if I'm right, it's I think it's a total of five between the retentions and the right to matches, or six uh, sometimes between normal auctions. You can retain as many players as you want, um, pretty much as long as you've got the money to do it. Yeah, the co-
3: right. complication with that knuckle is that the I think there's difference between cap players and uncapped players, isn't there? And when um, Suryakumar Yadav and Ishan Kishan made their Indian debuts. I imagine there's a few furrowed brows by Indians. They've been very happy for them, but also thinking ahead to the mega auction, they're now included in the cap players list and they can, they, so they can't retain as many.
2: Well, and also their base price will go up. Yes. Which is, but I think, I think I'm right. I think it's, it's normally it's not very many players between retentions and right to matches.
0: Yes, I think uh, three three retentions previously the teams have been able to do and two right to match uh, match cards you can use and right to match is also quite almost you have to you know uh, whatever bidding price the players have got you got to you you have the right to uh buy that player on that price so that's also quite difficult so ultimately the teams will try to retain the three superstars from their existing teams and you know just safeguard them with with the franchise so three they- for sure
5: yeah, and they can be overseas or Indian players. The the combination I've just been thinking, and I could
0: be wrong. It's three Indian and couple of overseas. But you right, can okay. have four Indians as well if you have one uncapped player, just like James was mentioning. Yeah. So there's there's there are those com- combinations.
2: It, it should. It should that this these rules haven't been decided for the for this mega auction, and it will be a little bit different with the extra team coming in, or possibly mm. two coming in. So it is going to be interesting to to watch this. this yeah. I, I find the IPL auction. I've I've followed it quite closely the last two years, and in fact I've live tweeted it the last couple of years. It is a fascinating process because it isn't like there's nothing else in cricket like it. No other league has this.
3: I'll tell you what as well, Michael. It's it, just because of the last couple of questions and the answers to those questions. It's quite complicated as well, isn't it? And the that, uh, towards the end of the last uh, the the last auction, even the people on the stage didn't know what was going on. They had to sort of get uh, help from a, from off stage from the people on the computers because some of the teams had filled up their whole quota and were still being asked to make bids, and they they they'd already filled their roster. So um, if they don't understand it, people watching at home are going to struggle too. So Claire, honestly, you need to basically. Uh, Take some brain fluids on and, and what have you before you before you watch it. Cause it, is, it is quite a hard watch as well. The, the mega auction goes on for ages, is not it?
5: Book a bit of annual leave then, round about that time.
3: Put a couple of days off and watch it. Yeah,
2: like just pay attention to all of the news articles that will come out and explainers that will come out before the uh, before the mega auction.
3: Yeah, and and uh, Mumbai Indians, which is our team, obviously filled with stars, obviously filled with recent success as well. They are in danger of um, losing a few, aren't they? In this uh, in this auction um, coming up after this uh, this edition of the IPL, there's uh, going to be some familiar faces saying goodbye, aren't they?
4: Yeah, I certainly think so. And, you know, you've looked around sports and in all of these leagues, you know, the teams that win the most, you usually have other teams trying to copy them. You see that in America and the NFL and the NBA. Uh, and you're going to see that in the IPL as well. I mean, you see with DC, their auction strategy has been fairly similar to what Mumbai does now. And you see how good DC is looking. And you would imagine that the rest of the teams are also going to follow that same same slate and say, okay, what what can we do that's sort of similar to what Mumbai does and what can we do better than them? So which does bring in that, that whole element of, who uh, might not be there. Now, Mumbai Indians has had a great, great run of success, but there certainly, you know, when we think about retentions, depending on what that number is, you would imagine that Rohit, Bumrah, and Hardik probably are the the three players that you would imagine are retained. After that, you have a bunch of players. There's Polard, there's Sky, uh, maybe Bolt, but, you know, you got to think about, okay, who else, you know, do we do the right to match or what do we do? I think a lot of things are up in the air, so that certainly looks like a time of transition. <laughs> It's coming I, I, up for Mumbai Indians.
3: With a like somebody like Kieran Pollard, you've got to kind of weigh up his age in that as well, haven't you? And do you want to commit to him for another three seasons? Yeah. There's a lot of different permutations and on in the in the equation there.
4: That's a great point. And 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 you've got to figure out, you know, With Pollard getting slightly older, do we get him in? Uh, What do we do with Krunal Pandya? I mean, they got a a number of things to think about. But also, another thing that Nakul touched upon was the draft. The American draft system is very different than the auction system. And in in the NBA and NFL, you don't actually go and rebalance the whole teams. You don't. The teams actually hold on to the players who are still contracted. However, for the new players coming in, uh, in America, it's from the college system. So college football, college basketball. What happens is the team that ended up last in the table gets the first pick. So the draft is very different than the auction. And so if that actually happens here of some sort of principle in which, say, let's, for example, say RR or SRH finish down the order, do they get the first chance to pick? Uh, And if they do, what happens to the auction? So there are just a number of different things that they got to figure out. see, I always
3: always thought, Anna that Trevor Bayliss was a genius. And this is, we're seeing why now, he's making sure they get the wooden
2: spoon this time so they get the the first go. The problem with this game of three-dimensional chess that you're playing is that doesn't happen in the IPL auction. It's a monetary auction. It's not a draft system. So it it doesn't quite work the same way. To be honest, I think if it's coming down to a choice between Rohit Sharma and Kyron Pollard, I'm going Kyron Pollard. To be honest, I think his performances over the last couple of years, he's batting better than he's ever done before. Rohit Sharma is obviously a fabulous player and, a, and a, an icon and a, and a great captain and leader. He his performances have not been stellar by any means in the IPL in the last couple of seasons. Well,
3: well let me th- throw a general question out there because on the podcast last night that I did with Anand Raj and uh, and Rito, Raj described Kieran Pollard as the best IPL player of all time, in his opinion, obviously watching him. And yeah, there was a bit of recency bias because he was doing working wonders in front of our very eyes. But there's a few candidates in that list. And going around the table here, starting with you, because you were obviously bringing that subject up anyway. Who would you say is the, is the greatest IPL player over the, uh, the 14 editions?
2: Holland would definitely be in that conversation. I would think he would just be pipped by Chris Gale and A.B. de Villiers and Lasith Malinga, but... Pollard would be in my top five for certain. I would actually would probably go Lasith Malinga uh, as my greatest IPL player of all time. Really? That surprises uh, me. What he's been able to do over so many years. And I think I'm always very impressed with bowlers who have a slightly unusual quality to them, who are then able to be successful once the mystery is solved. Lasith Malinga foxed everyone for a couple of years because of his... Uh, his angle of delivery. But everyone, everyone knew that. It wasn't a surprise to anyone. But he was still effective year after year after year. He did uh, bowling at the death is so hard. Taking wickets and not going for runs at the death is so hard. And he was able to do it time and time again.
3: Uh, Abhay, do you agree with your uh, Nordic patriot on, on the Kieran Pollard suggestion that he's the greatest ever?
0: Actually, yes. I, w- I have been listening to Nakul as well. But yes, I will go uh, with Raj's choice. Pollard is the one, uh, though uh, Nakul really, you know, convinced me that, okay, I should change it to Malinga, and he's very right in his explanation. But well, I'm you're, going to You're, you're easily
3: swayed, Abhay, aren't you? Easily swayed. Just a bit of Nakul fluence, and you're, you're away. With, uh, with the
0: correct uh, conversation? Yes, sure. <laughs> uh, but I still stick to Pollard, because uh, Pollard is the one, because Mumbai was struggling a lot, uh, you know, for the first three seasons. They were not able to qualify once and a couple of times. And then they really tried to uh, compete with Chennai. And Pollard tried his level best. There were some pictures in the social media yesterday also uh, showing uh, Mumbai CSK contests in those times. And Pollard is the one who won them their first title. I I still remember he hit two sixes of Bravo on the last two balls of Mumbai's innings. Then they batted first. And Chennai couldn't chase that target. It was a small target. And so Polard has given that belief to Mumbai uh, and with Polard's gr- uh, growth as a cricketer and as a as he's grown older, Mumbai has only become stronger and stronger and he's still going very strong. So I, I think Mumbai being the most successful franchise, it's Polard, it's people like Pollard and Malinga and especially Pollard because Polard is still there and last couple of IPLs also, he's played a big part in his leadership.
3: I was, going, I, I was just about to say that, have Because I? I mean, watching the uh, the documentary um, that came on Netflix uh, three seasons ago, and I mentioned this um, to uh, Jimmy Pammont on the uh, podcast ahead of this IPL, that Kieran Pollard, I said to Jimmy Pammont, he, he only speaks when, when he's got something to say, doesn't he? Because you could see on that documentary that fairly quiet, fairly r- relaxed, but. When he spoke in that dressing room, everybody shut up and listened. And that's, Jimmy Pomerant said, yeah, you're absolutely dead right. He doesn't speak for the sake of it. He speaks when he's actually got something constructive to say.
0: Completely. He must be like that. And uh, uh, no wonder, you know, youngsters in the Mumbai team have followed his example. They really, um, they, uh, they, they're they, doing so well for India and they always, you know, give credit to Pollard. So Pollard is an inspiration and he's just, I, I feel... Even more than the in, the destructive innings he plays as a batter, you know, every IPL about two, three times, which are, you know, out of the world innings. Uh, it's more his presence, which uh, gives Mumbai a lot of courage and, you know, that spirit to never give up.
3: Question number 50 for children in need in India. And please donate if you can, however small. Um, let's try and get something decent to uh, send the kids in India. And it goes to Claire. Claire. Um, We've talked about some of the greats of IPL um, 14th season this year I am guessing you're going to jump in With a Chris Gale suggestion
5: Well yeah He would be my obvious choice But having just listened to everything That the guys have said about um, Kieran Pollard You know um, I think it's important to acknowledge as well He's his bowling contributions and his fielding, which has been, you know, he's, oh, some he's seen some exceptional. Oh. Yeah. And for a big guy, you know, like he he's he's quite athletic. And, you know, an older big guy, he's quite athletic. So I guess, you know, although maybe Chris Gale would might be the king of the IPL just because of his presence and, you know, his his run scoring ability and whatever, but has he been part of a winning formula for a franchise to the extent that Pollard has? And like I say, that all-round ability of Pollard, like you've mentioned, his sort of leadership and his approach and the way he must be around the team, but also, you know, performing in all three uh, batting, bowling, and fielding. I guess you know you've the guys have put a really strong case for him
3: go across to our Mumbai Indians man in Allans, and obviously basically we've had a, a plethora of calls for Kieran Pollard to be named the, the, the god of IPL cricket you're a Mumbai Indians man are you going to surprise me and say somebody different or can you? are you going to go with Polly as well
4: so I love me some Polly I think you know, as a mentor, as a batsman, as a fielder, he's amazing. He even chips in with a few wickets. However, I'm with Nakul here. We constantly undervalue bowlers. Lasit Malinga, if you look at just, just like, let's take a look at his figures. Right now, most number of wickets in the IPL hasn't played in 2019 in 2020, 2021. Also, he took a break in 2018 and 2016. Still in 122 matches, he has 170 wickets. When we look at the best average, an average is highly an you know, overrated in T20. However, he still is in the top uh, five or six bowlers in the IPL ever. So the average is 1980. And the last thing, and I think this is fairly important because economy tends to be the most important thing, 7.14 for a man who bowls all the time in the death overs, the GOAT, Lasith Malinga.
3: Absolutely genius, Lasith Malinga. I can remember talking to Tim Bresnan um, after a Sri- uh, England had played Sri Lanka, and I- I'd asked him who was the uh, hardest bowler you've ever faced. And Bresi basically said, lassie Malinga, just like that. Straight off the top of his head, didn't even have to think about it because the angle of delivery that knuckle talks about, the fact that his hands comes from behind his body and then comes around at a very strange angle that as a batsman you're not used to. It just uh, upset him, I think. Bresi didn't like it at all. Didn't like it at all. I'm going to go with A.B. de Villiers. Um, because I just think A.B. de Villiers he, I'll tell you what, let's kind of reframe the question and go back around again with a slightly different angle on the question, because I think A.B. de Villiers, if you were going to say to me, you can watch one more current sort of modern-day batsman or one more modern-day cricketer for a day, I'd buy a ticket to see A.B. de Villiers because he can just do things that nobody else can. I think he, he he's just incredible. His flexibility, what he can do with that bat is just beyond anything i think anybody else can do in the ipl um and if you were to ask me you can only watch one person play again it would be abd and that's where my ticket purchase would go so um let's kind of so it's not the greatest it's the one you've enjoyed watching the most knuckle
2: i would probably agree with that to be honest i the one person i would shout that i could say challenges that i don't know two people but they are um and I'm going back to little, you know, Piekren and the and and Dale stain were probably the two cricketers who I've got the most thrill out of, out of watching alongside AB, but going with players who are currently playing, it is AB, AB de Villiers, his ability to, to do pretty much every, every single role that there has been in batting over the years in all formats of cricket. Um, there's uh, two test matches back to back for South Africa against Australia in Australia, where he got, uh, it was a thirty of two hundred or something to save a game in Perth, and then the next game got a better than run a ball hundred. Uh, in uh, and there, I don't think there have many been many players in the history of cricket who have a range like AB de Villiers. And even though he doesn't bat very much these days, even though he is no longer playing regular international cricket, he is still completely unbowlable to once he gets going and he can do things that no one else uh can do at least not as effectively and he's revolutionized parts of backing. you see bits of him in other people you see bits of him in joss Butler. you see bits of him in uh in kind of modern day virat Kohli, uh and let's bits of him in Rishabh punt for example but the whole package uh and watching the way he goes about things would be would be fantastic i the the slight caveat to that is, as a learning experience, I'm not sure how good it would be. I watch the, the Sky Sports Masterclass with A.B. de Villiers, and it's really fun, but a lot of it from a coaching point of view comes down to um, being A.B. de Villiers, which is not necessarily that replicable. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he just is just unique. I,
3: I, I just love the fella. Um, Abai, what about you? Just one player to watch um, that's a, a modern-day cricketer on your deathbed. Who would it be?
0: Really enjoyed uh, Virinder Sehwag innings in I at I in the IPL. I think uh, I really miss uh, his his uh, swashbuckling innings, and uh, he did a great job as an opener. He didn't get so many results, but I I I, I enjoyed Virinder Sehwag's innings. In the current players, I would say I really like uh, Shikhar Dhawan. When he's in full flow, it's uh, very elegant to see, and uh, he's uh, one of the good uh, players I like to watch.
3: Shik is one of those that when he's um batting well he looks in more control than i think than than a lot of t twenty batsmen do you know what i mean he can, yeah you see uh, you, you see a b Davilias, joss butler and you, you although they're incredible and they go along at a, a ridiculous rate of knots, you can also see them getting out very quickly uh, as well any any ball almost but Shika looks a little bit more in control of his of his own wicket
0: completely completely and with what he's been doing for delhi. Giving them so much of stability, and his, uh, you know, uh, he's also increased the range of shots. So, and he's been his strike rate has been up. So I also what I like is how the batsmen also improve their game, and that's what uh, is very appealing for me. And Shikhar Dhawan, you know, fills in all those boxes. You're like
3: a grafter, Rabbi. You're like a grafter, Claire. Bad news, you're on your deathbed. Good news, you can watch any favorite cricketer from the current era, and um, one last time, who would it be?
5: Oh, this is so difficult because in some ways, if we're talking about them on their best day. and oh, not yeah, I mean, the, I, I, yeah.
3: We're not going to be party poopers, Claire. We're not going to re- yeah. reel in Chris Gale looking like he's awful.
5: <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, And I love watching Chris Gale bat, Um, but I think one of my favourite batsmen to watch is Rohit Sharma when he's in that form. Um it's just his the, his grace, uh, you know, he's beautiful to walk back. Like, you know, Chris Gale's destructive and A.B. De Villiers is playing all these shots all over the place. But the the way Roick bats when he's on farm is just, you know, it's kind of that poetry motion kind of feeling to me. Um, and yeah, I'm, um, I'm
3: glad you've mentioned Roick because he's one of my favourites as well.
5: Oh yeah, they like that two hundred and sixty four that he scored I mean, and nothing the, like that was just out of this world. I don't know that was an ODI, but um, you know it was just yeah. So for me, if I could watch anybody at the peak of their performance, it would be Rohit.
3: And Anne, you're in the bed next to uh, Claire, but you've got a different window to look out of. Who who do you want in that window watching for the last time?
4: So. Uh... If I go by the current players, you know, I think ABD is a good shout, but since ABD has already been mentioned, I think from the current generation, I would look at Dre Russ, partly because I have no idea what he's gonna do and he can basically flip a match on his head. It really depends on how well it goes, but we're saying this is Dre Russ at his best without having knee problems or whatnot, Uh, why not? But if I would go back, back in the day, I think this would be an awesome dream uh, for me is watch Sachin Ramesh Tendulkar of 1998. Not the older, more uh, risk-averse guy, but the guy who was taking on the very best and was really being a maverick at that time. I would want to watch him play the IPL with some of these current stalwarts and that would be fun.
3: I'd say my my answer uh, would be to go with Chris Gale because it's great to watch him play again. Great to watch him clobber the ball out the ground and, uh, and do whatever, sixes galore, raining down all over me. But then he could break me out of hospital and we could go partying for one last time before I die. It would be an altogether 24-7 experience with Chris Gale. I think that would be the reason I'd pick him. I was thinking today about uh, when I was watching David Milan getting his cap off Chris Gale, Um, I jotted this question down, knowing we're going to do this tonight. 100 questions, Captain Tom, raising money for children in need in India. We're on to question number 57 now, and that is, if you were going to be picked, probably late in many people's cases, but going to get your call-up for your country, and you're in that circle, and somebody steps forward to present you with your cap, who would you want that to be? If you could select anybody... Could even be dead people coming back to life to do it for you.
2: Who would you select, Knuckle? Moen Ali. Absolutely no question about that. Have uh, you said that with a straight face? Yeah. Moen Ali is my favourite England cricketer of all okay. time. Okay. All right. Okay. Absolutely. I think uh, not just the way he plays, but what he has what he has achieved as a person and, and the way he carries himself. Um, I am a huge uh, admirer of, of Moen Ali. I was expecting
3: you to go for some absolute colossal legend. And with all due respect to Moen, um, he's a, maybe a level in my mind underneath that, which is where my surprise came from. But certainly, um, your your reasons for picking Mo are absolutely spot on. Claire, what about you? You're going to get your cap. Who's going to give it to you? Uh,
5: another tough one, but I think I would have to go with one. Uh, you know, one of the main reasons that I fell in love with cricket as a kid, and that is Sir Iva Richards. Oh, yes. Um, I mean, you know, I've. Yeah, back in the day, like I say, some my, my earliest cricket experiences was seeing Viv uh, nineteen eighty three World Cup and stuff like that. And oh man, yeah, without a doubt. Even now, like he's still got it, just something. And I guess this might be me coming from a woman's perspective as well. But for sure, yeah, Viv, I, Viv for me.
3: I was exactly the same as you when I was younger. I oh. used to watch watch him bat and just think. Um, I just want to be that fella because he yeah. was just a coolness personified. He was, um, had the swagger. He had the ability. You imagined him in a bar at night and, uh, the women would be sw- flocking around him. He'd be kind of batting them away with a, with a stick. Yeah. Um, um, and everything looked as if it was so easy. And I know talking to people who've talked to him, um, I mean, one of the podcasts I had on recently was Jeremy Snape. who had a long chat with him on a psychological basis. And, um, it's that kind of like iceberg thing, you know. Above the water, it was all looking superb, but underneath, the, yeah, there was a lot underneath the water that you couldn't see, or the duck or whatever in the pond. You know, yeah, it, it, that that swagger, that walk to the crease, was very much almost manufactured to be his kind of battle armor.
5: Yeah, I mean, because that's it, isn't it? It's not only what it was. That whole thing about you know they talk about him waiting. If he was coming into about waiting until the guy, the bat guy who's out, has actually left the field. Yeah. Before he does his, you know, strut on, swing the back, chewing the gum. You know, the whole thing was, um, yeah, uh, pretty out of this world. Uh, Because you just assume
3: watching him that it's just all laid back. It's all so easy. There's almost no thought gone into it. But there was a lot of thought went into what Viv Richard did. And, uh, you know, he's a very bright fella who thought about his cricket an awful lot. Abay! Um, you are called up. Tomorrow morning, you're going to get your cap. They want to know who you want to present it to
0: you. Yes, for me, uh, it's uh, MS Dhoni because uh, I'm uh, very uh, inspired by his uh, on the cricket field actions as well as off the uh, cricket field actions. And uh, he uh, he really epitomizes. Mm-hmm. Of course, he's he's been very successful as a cricketer and as a captain. Uh, but even more than that, I have been very impressed the way he's handled all the ups and downs in his career. He never gets so excited and he keeps it very simple all the time. Uh, So I think that's the way uh, one can, you know, lead a very successful life as well. If you don't get carried away when you're having those highs and the lows. You would
3: be be a gibbering wreck, Abhay. If MSD was walking towards you with an Indian cap, I think you'd actually melt, wouldn't you? Yes, surely, surely. So that's a dream. That's the dream. Um, Well, good good luck with it. Good luck with it. Hope it comes true. Anand, what about you? You're getting your cap tomorrow. Who's presenting it to you?
0: Well, it's a
4: fairly simple choice here, but uh, it's going to be Sachin Ramesh, Tendulkar. He has to come out there, uh, just idolized him, used to bat like him. Everything was all about Tendulkar, so it would have to be him. But let's say he's off at the road safety series or something like that, and somebody else needs to give me a cap. I'll go with left field. Let's bring Roger Federer out there. Come on out, give me the cap. I will
3: be a mess, and it's going to be
4: the greatest day in my life.
3: So there we go. Just give me an idea for another question to go around the group with. But uh, my mind would be Chris Cowdery. Um, which is, probably sounds bizarre to all of you, but he was my first cricketing hero. Um, and I can remember watching uh, Chris Cowdrey bat for Kent. And I can remember thinking, I wish Ian Botham would get injured because I want Chris Cowdrey to play for England. And he played six test matches, I think, in the end. Chris Cowdrey, and he captained in one of them as well. And I was delighted with that. But if uh, anybody's going to present me with my um, England cap, it will be Mr. Chris Cowdry. <laughs> Hygiene, appearance, attractiveness, confidence. Simply go to manscaped.com, quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com, together we save balls. The question that, uh, or the answer that Anand just gave just kind of sparked off something else. Um, we, we, all we talk about on the Cricket Badger podcast is our cricketing heroes and cricketing um, matches and stats and all of our various uh, opinions. Um, but there's a wider sporting world out there, Knackle. Um, who is your hero outside of cricket? If there is another sport that turns you on, who, who whets your appetite
2: beyond the boundary? Well, my first sporting hero actually was a football. Uh, was a football. Um, so growing up in the late 90s, it was Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo. It was the first football shirt I had. was a uh, was an Inter Milan uh, Inter Milan uh, shirt. Grew up in the, grew up watching kind of the tail end, but certainly was was watching football Italia uh, yeah. on uh, on Channel Four uh, on Channel Four a lot. And, and I don't know if I quite appreciated it at the, at the time, but I think I did to some extent. the 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 combination of pace and power and grace and skill that he had, even after the knee injuries and then coming back from the knee injury in the World Cup in two thousand and two, and then and then a little bit later. Um, so it would be, it would be, um, the original Ronaldo, I think of, uh, of, of currently active sports people. I think, I think again, it's a footballer and I think again, it's, it, it's Barcelona, even though I am an Arsenal fan and, um, and, uh, and there have been, you know, many, many Arsenal players I've idolized over the, uh, over the years, but uh, of current, of current sports people, it's either Serena Williams or Lionel Messi. Nice. I like that longevity and, and sheer astonishing excellence for so long uh, and overcoming some physical adversity uh, and personal adversity with it. Um uh, I think I think both of those are, are would be would be my uh, choices of currently active sports people.
3: Uh, Aboy you've been presented with your cap, you've played your game, you've done very nicely. They've given you tickets for another sporting event. Who's your hero? Who are you gonna go and watch?
0: Uh I actually uh unlike others, I I'm I'm always glued to cricket. So can I keep my answer to cricket again?
3: No. There's no other oh, okay. sport you watch. I mean, I, I, let's, mm. right, let's delve into the answer. Let's delve into that answer because we get this perception from England that Indian people grow up and it's religion and it's cricket and there is nothing else. Is that, that, from what you've just said there, that is absolutely cast iron true. There's nothing else that interests you? For me, yes.
0: But no, now in general, public is crazy about cricket, but they're also crazy about football. So I'm sure a lot of answers like Messi and Ronaldo will come up if you ask the general people over here. But yes, cricket is 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 a religion, no doubt.
3: So you're turning down my tickets for another sport, then?
0: Um uh, I'll still uh, go for um, uh, go for this Argentinian uh, legend. Um, uh, yeah, this uh, Di Maria. Yes, I, I like uh, his play. Oh, the former uh, Manchester
3: United player.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Oh, okay. I've liked him, and uh, also uh, another. Uh, I, I like Argentina as a football team. And I also liked uh, Riquelme. He didn't have a very uh, big career, like what, long career. What
2: a player. What a player.
0: Yes. Yes. I used to like him
3: as well. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, after having no answers, there were two very, very good ones in the end. Claire, <laughs> Thanks. Where, where do you go beyond the sporting boundary when it comes to um, beyond
5: cricket? Well, I pretty much really will watch any sport that's on. Although cricket's always going to be the number one, but if there is sport, on, I'll watch it. But I remember when my first real sporting heroes was Daley Thompson uh, oh, winning the decathlon that's a fantastic shout. Oh man, he was just something else. Just the whole, you know, yeah, the whole Daily Thompson thing. So if you're old enough to remember him, he was one of my real first big heroes. But I guess a bit more modern day. You saying Bolt I just think he's absolutely fantastic you know what he's achieved and everything just brilliant and um, I think Serena's a really good call I mean my, my nana lived till she was 100 and I remember um, Serena was her absolute favourite she loved her and her uh, Manana's 100th year, <laughs> Serena played her latter, uh, Wimbledon, and I used to go see Manana, you know, do her shopping and stuff. And I sat with her and I said, oh, I've come on my own without the kids so I can watch the match with you. She said, I don't bloody want you sitting here interrupting me. Go on, get off home and I'll ring you later. And she, like, threw me out of the house, literally, so that I didn't interrupt interrupt her enjoyment of watching Serena for a very last time and it was a great match and but she won and so that was fantastic and I shared a lot of it was nice with Manana to sort of watch her but another one of my heroes was Thierry Henry and that's ah. just because he's got
2: Vavavu. I mean you know, I, I, Thierry Henry was second for me <laughs> after, after he was I moved pretty much on from Ronaldo to 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 Thierry Henry in terms of again it's that combination of being able to do stuff that quickly and that well for so long like, how is he doing this there, there are two sportsmen there are two moments at
3: a football match that I having grained on my retinas. Um, one was when I was um, living in Lincolnshire and I used to go and watch Grimsby Town play. They drew Chelsea in the cup and Rude Hullet was playing. This is going back a fair few years now. And the ball came out of the, uh, the Grimsby Cleethorpes, actually, as it is there, Blundell, above Blundell Park, the sky. It came down from probably about 500 miles, it felt like it did. And Rude Hullett just trapped it in one motion and then in the next motion, pinged the pass about 60 yards out to the wing. And I just thought... Blimey. I've never seen anybody do anything like that before. And the, the second one is Thierry Henry. I'm a Leeds fan. And uh, Leeds got battered 4-0, I think, Ellen Road by um, Arsenal. And Thierry Henry scored a hat-trick that day. And he was like a racehorse. He was just like a thoroughbred. He just moved so quickly and gracefully and the ball was just stuck to his, his feet. He was, um, I, I didn't like it at the time, but looking back, it was incredible. Didn't like the fact he was scoring I, goals
2: against I Leeds. I the night that Thierry Henry scored his comeback goal at the Emirates against Leeds in the FA Cup when he came back for his second stint. The Emirates is not normally a very loud place. Uh, so it's this the, is, the library, isn't it? But that night, that night, it was as loud as any place in the world. Yeah. That, that goal uh, and it was that goal, cutting in off the left, just a little bend into the far corner. I, I It always makes me laugh with Leeds
3: fans because they always used to say, Alan Shearer, he always scores goals against us. Terry Henry, he always scores goals against us. And you're thinking, actually, he, he's, they score goals against everybody. It's not just us, you know, it's, they just score goals against everybody. Um, moving on, Anand, you've already kind of mentioned this, I reckon. I reckon you're going to say Roger Federer here, aren't you?
4: Well, it's probably Federer, but I mean, there's there's quite a few other people, right? So there's Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan from the U.S. that I would love to see. Uh, In the early 90s, I don't think Maradona was what he was in the 80s, but I didn't see him then. So Maradona, I just remember walking around Bombay and every kid would say they're supporting Argentina in the World Cup and there was no connection to argentina except so, I mean,
3: for maradona so, so Boy Ab- said that as well i mean boy has got the argentinian links going on you are mentioning it too what what is it is argentina twinned with india i think it's
4: just that you know that latin sort of component of playing with passion and uh, you know you didn't i don't know you know early 90s i don't think we used to get that much soccer or football back telecast either. So all these stories were sort of passed on from your parents. My dad would tell me, oh, Maradona is the best. And I would be, oh, all right. Maradona is the best. We used to want the, the number 10 uh, t-shirts with number 10 while playing cricket. It didn't make sense, but I, I, there was just something about Maradona then. And then, you know, later on uh, Maradona and actually one more person, Boris Becker okay, uh,
3: yeah, yeah.
4: and Bo- Becker, I saw a lot of Maradona, very little, but Becker in the nineties was still a great player, but he just had that sort of, he looked like he could, hit aces it hardly looked like he, you know I, he was
3: i heard a really interesting fact about boris becker over the weekend um on the radio and uh, i i'm taking it you probably weren't listening to radio 5 because you're over there in the us so i'm going to give you this fact as a new thing to you and see if you know it um, how did andre Agassi um re- read boris becker's service
4: uh, he used just stick his tongue out when he would go down the middle, <laughs> or if he's going down the side.
3: Pass you passed the exam, and that was it. Yeah, basically, Andre Agassi realized that he watched a lot of videotape, and he could tell from how Becker's tongue was positioned in his mouth which way his serve was going to go. And it wasn't until they got drunk at the Oktoberfest, probably two or three years on from him being able to read really his serve for two or three seasons on the bounce that he, uh, they got a bit drunk together and Andre Agassi actually confessed to Boris Becker that I've been reading your surf for the last three years and uh, you didn't know because it's your tongue gives it away, mate. Um, so that was I actually found that quite funny,
2: Alan. My favourite bit of that story is that he then would deliberately let some serves go... To try yes, and he didn't on. want him to know, did he? he picked up the You give
4: so much respect to Agassiz for that, right? That you actually did not want to let Becker know that, hey, I can pick this, but you actually wait till it's four or five in the, uh, you know, in the set or something like that. So no, it's an amazing story. Becker just had this sort of aura on him, right? I mean, so similar to Richards, I guess. Becker also, you know seemed like he was having a lot of fun with it and then he would take he would just do things nonchalantly and then he would just dive on concrete or hard courts and it's just the man's incredible
3: oh when he first came to wimbledon um and he was only 16 or something when he first won wimbledon wasn't he He very young and he was like a man mountain but so so a massive kid basically in a a man's body but he was flinging himself all over the place it was incredible to watch and remember that very very clearly indeed I mean, going back to reading the serve, um, nackle when we, we were talking about the fizz, weren't we, earlier in his bowling action, um, I you hear professional batsmen talking about reading a bowler and I can see it with a spinner. I mean, obviously the leg break and the googly are slightly different hand positions and what have you. And it's all very well reading it and actually seeing it out of the hands, but then you've got to still play it and still have the skill to play it. But playing, reading a fast bowler um, and watching the same position in the hand as they run up and you see some bowlers shielding it and all kinds of things, don't you? That must be, yeah, to have to have the time to actually be able to react to what you've just read, I just can't compute that because you've got, I think, 0.6 of a second from the ball leaving the bowler's hand
2: to actually effectively hitting your bat. Well, I think that's why batters try and read bowlers because you don't have time to react. Uh, I I cannot compute the level of cricketing intelligence that is necessary to, and I kind of empathize with the ability to read essentially what a fast bowler is going to bowl before they bowl it. You know, Arnhem's talking about tennis. You can't just see a serve and react to it. There's no time. If anyone's serving at any kind of pace, you, you pick up the cue um, for, you know, it's not usually the tongue, but it's something, there's something in the ball toss or there's something in the, uh, in the body positioning. And I've, I've heard this, a great example of this in current cricket is Joffre Archer a lot of batters say that they can't pick Jofra Archer's bouncer he doesn't give you any clue from his action whereas most other bowlers do I have no idea what that cue is I don't know if most batters know what that cue is but they see something and they think this is more likely to be a bouncer gives you that extra fraction of a second to be able to play it uh, which is so important against the fast because you don't have time to react off the pitch but certainly not if you're trying to play any sort of any sort of attacking stroke um I mean that's before you even go to the hand and the uh, and all of that uh, all of that stuff in terms of the scene position and the and the um and you know which side the shine is on had a great story about Brendan McCullum when New Zealand played their first uh day night test match they were practicing with it in the nets Kane Williamson went up to Brendan McCullum and said uh, this ping ball's no good I can't see the scene Brendan McCullum turns to him and says you can see the seam. <laughs> I, I can't empathise with it. I've never, I'm very lucky if I can uh, get most of a bat on the ball um, off a bowling machine these days, to be honest. But I mean, and- I, I've mean, i been lucky enough to work um, sort of closely with
3: professional cricketers. Yeah, you know, most most often at Yorkshire and being in the nets alongside, a, a, you know, Joe, I remember watching Joe Sayers practising against the bowling machine and he was practising against the short ball and had it set on no, ultra quick and I was watching him ducking and weaving against this short ball coming down and I couldn't see it and I was just thinking that just it just made me think how much difference there was between the club cricket I'd played and the, the the speed of a professional cricketer I remember going into the nets at Headingley ahead of a charity game and I thought I better try and remember how to play this game and I I kind of gradually um brought the the bowling speed up from the bowling machine up in increments of five miles an hour um and I got it up to I think about Seventy-five in the end, and they reckon with a bowling machine. You can add about ten onto that because you don't get any clues in terms of the run-up and the and the, the hand coming over. Um, and I honestly, you couldn't see the thing. I, I mean, I got it set so it was kind of half volley outside of off stump, so I wasn't going to kill myself. But it was just incredible. Even seventy-five is quick. Eighty is rapid. Eighty-five is just bonkers. It's just crazy. Abai, I mean, how, how have you ever got up close to a professional cricketer bowling really quickly? And, and seen it, you know, seen it in action and thought, flipping it. This is just because yeah, from a distance and, and on the television, I don't think you get the full impact of how quick somebody can bowl, the really fast bowlers can bowl.
0: Oh uh, no, I haven't had that kind of experience. Uh, but I've always been thinking that okay, uh, what it'll be to face some of the fast bowlers in real. Mm. So mm. it's it's always been in one of my, you know, not I won't call it a nightmare, but I've always Thought about it that uh, no, how? W- it
3: would be, be a nightmare, Ab, I promise you, unless you're better, <laughs> unless you're far better than I am.
0: Yeah, so I've always been thinking, okay, how it will be to face these fast bowlers. So no, I haven't come across. Uh, and it was quite scary to just in the playground when we used to play cricket. Uh, you know, to face some of the fast bowlers, uh, like our, some of our friends, that also was quite difficult.
3: Yeah. I can remember I was at Old Traffords and she went back to was doing a, a fitness test. And the I don't know if it's still the same. I've been to Old Trafford for ages. Um, I've been to a cricket ground for ages. But the, um, the nets used to be outside and the, uh, there was a kind of like a, a walkway behind it or a roadway behind it. And so I was effectively standing about four feet behind the back of the net. So the stumps were another few feet beyond the, the net uh, where the batsman would have been and then show back to was running in. So I was right behind it. Every time the ball hit the net, I flinched like crazy because it was so quick. Um, I've never seen anything that quick actually. Um, Shoei was rapid at his at his height and it was around about that time. It was just it was just scary, Anand. and and I, I don't think mere mortals watching from a distance know how quick some of these guys are.
4: Oh, it's just amazing. And you really get a understanding how quickly these guys are picking up the ball. So I have actually two cricketing stories around that. One was very recent. I was in England to see the World Cup uh, at the last World Cup that just happened and I happened to get tickets to Australia-England
3: who, who won uh, that I can't remember yeah that's
4: a that's a good one I just know that uh, and, and you know there was no match for India-New Zealand and uh, after that I think I blacked out so I have no idea what <laughs> happened with the final <laughs> But, uh, you know, just a amazing World Cup, you know, English, England did well. But what got me thinking that England's really going to get this is I had got tickets to semifinal number two, which was Australia versus England, thinking that India would be in it. But Australia versus England was a great matchup. And you saw Mitchell Stark bowling to Jason Roy. And Mitchell Stark was easily clocking about 90 miles per hour. And you could see how fast the ball is going out and Roy skipping out and hitting him straight above his head.
3: And I could not fathom the thought of how Roy is doing that. Because your first instinct would be to be a Phil Tufnell, back away to square leg, wouldn't it? Not, not dance or, down the track and actually meet the speed. Or a Pujara dead bat, you know. And this guy is rocky. He's going
4: towards Stark and Stark's bowling at 90 miles plus it just blew my mind and and the second the, the the second experience that i had was john isner so i don't know whether everybody's a tennis fan but yeah if absolutely you are, you...
3: it wasn't he involved in the longest game at wimbledon
4: he was <laughs> and very painful match by the way i, I, I kind of watched it but uh we do I, I have a slight bit of a tie with uh john isner because he went to the same university that i went to so he went to university of georgia here and isner's from there so i went to see him play and the ability of people to return one hundred and twenty-five, one hundred and thirty mile per hour serves baffles me. I yeah. play tennis. I don't see how you get a bracket on those balls.
3: I used to play a lot of tennis, and when I was younger, uh, and there was a county player in my school, and I had the misfortune of drawing him in the school tournament, and I could, it took me two sets, I think, to before I could actually get a bat on his serve, a racket on his serve, because it was, he was just, and I mean, he he wasn't anything, anywhere near, isn't it, like. Um, but just at our standard, he was just so far above it. Um, I mean, we're all missing live sport at the moment, aren't we? In terms of going to see live cricket, Claire? I mean, we talked earlier about Yorkshire's terrific win, the greatest county, obviously in England. Um, and mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but seeing seeing um, live, I mean, I, I, I would say suggest seeing live anything. Is is the best seeing live music, seeing live theatre, seeing live whatever. But seeing live sport, I think it just gives you a, a, a different angle. It, you kind of you, you can see the whole pitch, can't you? You can you can get a bit of a grip of the power and the and the and the speed and and the um, the talent of these guys.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I'm really fortunate. I live literally ten minutes from Headingley. so I've always lived on a bus route, a direct bus route to Headingley. So as a kid, you know, I'd finish school and then go down, you could get him free to the county games after tea. So I did all that. But me and my mum have been to Headingley test like every year all my life. So I remember I mean the 1984 Malcolm Marshall but in one hand, that kind of thing. So oh, no, I tell you what, he was a bowler. Well yeah, so you know, like I was there. I like was actually there. I remember this sort of stuff. One of my first test matches was um Headingley 81 that I really clearly remember. And I loved watching Dennis Lilly bowl, even though that match wasn't about Dennis Lilly. But um, you know, sitting, we've always sat well, it used to be trackside then. And yeah. uh, you know, just seeing the apps, abs- you know, getting that feeling of the pace or watching the the Big far West Indies guys. Did, likes, did you ever sit uh, in, this, in the Coconut Shy? Lillian Thompson. Did you ever sit in the uh, Coconut No, shy? I didn't ever sit in, sit in the Coconut Shy. We were on the Western Terrace, but that trackside, uh, right, you know, right, those wooden benches that used to get splinters. Uh, yeah. In the backs of your legs, you know, but and, and look over at the coconut shires and be absolutely fascinated by it.
3: Yeah. I mean, for, um, for, for listeners but... not knowing what we're talking about, back in the day, <laughs> Headingley used to have a kind of a sight screen and it was layered. And people could almost sit in it, couldn't they? And um, all you could see was their heads. You did, yeah. Um, and it looked like a coconut shy. If they, You know, you could stand sort of 20 yards in front of that and, and throw cricket balls at people's heads almost and and play coconut shying. Um, but they weren't coconuts. They were actually human beings' heads and they were watching the cricket there kind of spaced out behind these, uh, these white boards. Uh, very bizarre, really, wasn't it?
5: It, it it was yeah because literally that was yeah yeah there was it was seating with the white wasn't it so it was like where the side screens are now.
2: There are some grounds where you can essentially watch them. They have like a multi-tiered scoreboard, an old scoreboard, and you see like you see people watching basically from inside it.
5: <laughs> I tell, that, that, yeah, I, I mean, I, know, I'm, I'm, I feel like I've seen that.
2: Who knows wins? Put your money where your mates are. Download the app now from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store.
3: We're not supposed to mention um, the person that presented this show anymore, but when Jim will fix it used to be on television, I wrote to him millions of times asking for all kinds of things, cricket. Uh, and the one thing I, for some reason, the one thing I always wanted to do was operate a scoreboard at a cricket game. Don't know why. Like, I'm going to give you a chance to write to, uh, my name's James. We call me Jim for the purposes of this. Jim will fix it. Knackled, you can write to me. and You can get your wish, your fantasy cricket moment. If you write to me and I can grant it for you, what would it be?
2: badger will fix it um, yeah that's, that's better <laughs> let's get away from all conversations of the, yeah. uh, the other uh, that's a very very good question and just talking about live sport and county championship by the way I was at the uh, I've been doing some commentary with the BBC I was at the Oval yesterday where we were covering the where we were covering the IPL games from and it was while the second innings of the Surrey Hampshire game going on well watching Keemar Roach live is a lot of fun uh, was trying trying not yes. to get distracted by Kemar Roach when we're <laughs> watching the, the the IPL game. Um, and yeah, you can certainly he uh, he got trapped on one LBW towards the end of that, and you could hear the thump into the pad from uh, from Ouch. up in Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, It's a yeah. That that was a lot of fun. So yeah, and that that did make me miss watching live cricket. I don't know if. That's a very good question about... That you'll you know,
3: fix it for you.
2: And yeah, you and I, you. Think, I think what I would probably want to do is to be at the MCG 2003 to watch Berendash Sevag score that 100 that he scored. I think he might have got his 100... The four T I think it might have been uh, that he got like 100 I can't remember what what the score was 185 I think it was I'm going to have to look this up uh, now but he scored the most breathtaking 100 in the Boxing Day test of uh, 2003 uh, against Australia I have very vivid memories of sitting up watching it uh, uh, watching it unfold 195 he got in basically a day uh, and it was the most astonishing innings I've ever seen and I would have loved to have been there live on Boxing Day i
3: Baj will fix it for you. What do you want out of the world? What what could I grant you as your fairy cricket godmother?
0: Yes, uh, I'm just thinking uh, probably uh, an India-Pakistan match in the United Kingdom. Somewhere in the United Kingdom, tickets to an India-Pakistan match.
3: Just, uh, just on that subject, Abai. I yeah. mean, I, uh, the IPL doesn't allow Pakistan players to play um and it's the one thing i mean i know it's massively political and i know we've only got 100 questions for this podcast and we could do about 10 hours on the political um relationship between pakistan and india but it's a, it is a crying shame surely that the likes of babar azam shaheen Afridi, um Mohammed rizwan aren't in the ipl isn't it
0: absolutely i think uh, it's not good for uh, it's not good for or uh, ipl as well it's really not good for pakistan cricket because all the countries come together and play ipl together and all and, and there is reasonable you know participation from all the other countries which is good because their players also get this exposure to play at you know highest highest level of cricket i believe
1: <clears throat> and yeah.
0: pakistan would have benefited a lot pakistani players would have got a lot of exposure there was a lot of hype when they played in 2008 in the inaugural season, and they would have enjoyed this tournament, and they would have also made this tournament uh, more bright. I I truly believe because you know they will also connect with the local language and so on. So I definitely, as a as a sports fan, I I miss uh, the participation of Pakistani players, especially their fast bowlers in the IPL. Yeah.
3: I mean Har- Harris Rauf another one who's. Uh a really good t20 bowler who would uh, add to any of the uh, the franchises at the moment in the IPI. it's a it's a real shame i think that the uh
0: 3 oh, b as well yeah oh
3: uh, yeah he's in his pomp yeah i mean he would have been
2: been absolutely superb and ali is a huge amount of fun yeah
3: yeah yeah so i mean yeah, yeah it's, it's such a shame isn't it i mean it's, it's, and it's not going to change anytime soon either Anand, is it that you know the the relationship between india and pakistan isn't going to just kind of go away overnight
4: yeah i don't know that it's going to change anytime soon however you know sports does bring people together Uh, i do think that there are significant issues between india and pakistan and i think if there are ways for us to fix it if there are ways for us to go forward with it it would certainly be worthwhile from a sports perspective but really from a large from a you know from from a world perspective as well, because uh, when the two neighbors get along, uh, you certainly see how well things can go, Uh, you know, especially coming out of India. So leaving Bombay and coming out to the US, I have a fair amount of Pakistani friends and you realize that, you know, at the end of the day, everybody is fairly similar. So, uh, you know, you, you want to make sure that, some well, of the issues uh, uh, are addressed
3: everybody's built the same way Anand, don't they everybody's fashion yeah got the same blood vessels got the same brains got made exactly the same it's just you grow grow up, up in a different worlds with different people telling you different things
4: yeah absolutely i think uh, what does muddy the waters is some of the you know terrorism and things uh, acts that have happened and certainly being from bombay we Bombay has gone hit quite a few times, you know. So certainly there is impact towards that. But at the end of the day, you know, we are better off when people can get along if we can solve the problems and live peacefully together. The neighbors, you know, especially the the culture is very similar. The language, at times, you know, especially with Hindi and Urdu being close by, very similar. Uh, so it it it. it really could lead to better relations, better sport, uh, better business. And, uh, you know, I, I think for the benefit of both countries. So, you know, I think that's peace is the way forward. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe some of these issues can be worked out as we move forward.
3: Well, Badge will fix it for you, has already granted you that wish, hopefully. Um, what else would you want from me? Well, if we go back to
4: the uh, the question that you had about which matches did you want to be or which cricketing uh, sporting moment did you want to be? Since I'm a, a big tennis fan, the Nadal Federer final uh, at Wimbledon with the lights, you know, dimming down or whatever. You're, you're listening
3: to the Tennis Badger podcast. <laughs> tennis,
4: that That's the next <laughs> avenue that we need to explore, James. But uh, Nadal and Federer, definitely. Uh, and if I would go back to just uh, cricket, the 1996 Bangalore quarterfinal between India and Pakistan. So uh, as a kid that just had, India is fairly, you know, a lot of people around, a lot of noise and all. Uh, but on that day, I just remember pin drop silence because everybody was watching the match. And Pakistan in the 90s was much, much better than India. India had a couple of good players, but Pakistan was just a much better, well-rounded team with better players. And uh, that that whole match and experience, uh, it, yeah, every time I even think about that, uh, you know, goosebumps come out because you see Amir Suhail going off, Venkatesh Prasad sending him off. Uh, just And Chadeja towards the end taking on one of the greats of the world, Vakar Yunus. So if, if that match, you know, I could be there, that'd be
3: amazing. If you're wondering why we're still talking, and we usually finish after about 30 minutes, it's because we're trying to raise money for children in need in India. Um, if you have a look at the at underscore badge, Twitter feed, you'll see the link to the donation page on there. Captain Tom and his, uh, gen- his uh, relations are trying to get people to um, raise some money in kind of multiples of 100 over this bank holiday weekend in England. Um, and this podcast has 100 questions in it. And that's our hope that we can uh, encourage you to donate if you don't donate there donate to some oxygen charities and what have you just help the people of India it's horrible what's happening over there with COVID at the moment and uh, whatever you can donate I'm sure will help um, them a deal with the problem that they've got now and uh, b rebuild after they uh, get through this current crisis we're on to question number 85 Claire and it is your badge fix it letter what are you going to go for
5: as I've mentioned to you guys previously, my first IPL team was always um, Mumbai Indians because of Sachin, um, and I fell in love with him when he started playing for Yorkshire years ago. Um, and so for me, it would be the World Cup final um, and seeing him getting his moment, and you know, at the, the one KD, and just the team bringing it home to Sachin. I remember I didn't even have Sky at the time. and I listened to it all on the radio, ball by ball. It was so gripping. And I would just, the atmosphere and everything, the whole thing surrounding that match, that would be... Uh, and I've seen some fantastic, uh, you know, matches at Headingley all over the UK. I've been kind of all over the world. I've been really fortunate like that, but I've never been to India or seen cricket in India and, you know... this. Seeing Sachin as a youngster at Yorkshire is where my sort of love of Indian cricket started. Um, so for the, me, it would be yeah, take me to that World Cup final, please, Badger.
2: I was there that night. Oh in, no! In oh, fantastic. It, it was the most I'm not really an India fan these days I was more so at the time but it was I I could have been supporting anyone that night Uh, it would have been the most astonishing that by the way uh, is the greatest things I've ever seen live not Dhoni in that final but Mahela Jaya Yeah. that final just the most extraordinary hundred you looked up and it was one of those innings that he was batting so fluently and with so little apparent effort that you looked up again. And where's he got that extra 15 runs from? I didn't notice those. Uh, and the most incredible uh, controlled 100. And yeah, that, that that day, that night was the most astonishing thing. You know, the last 10 overs seemed to last about three years. Uh, it's going on, and on forever. And I didn't get to bed till seven in the morning. Sounds like a good day.
3: <laughs> Sounds like a very good day indeed. I tell you, that's um, if I could write to myself, then Badger will fix it. Writing to himself, um, it would be along the same lines of claire Really, I, I've always fancied um, going across to actually cover an IPL in person, not not from a distance like we are doing over these last two editions, but actually going out there and uh, and covering it in person, and uh, maybe repeating my effort of touching Sachin Tendulkar. You ever touch Sachin, Claire?
5: No, I haven't. Um, I, I've shaken tell you his hands. Uh, have you? Well, I've, I haven't, no, but one of my favourite Sachin innings was the, I can't remember what year it was as well, the test match in, was it about 2003 at Headingley when um, he and Ganguly were, it was batting, it was dark on a Saturday afternoon.
2: 2002.
5: Two. Okay, yeah. And I just remember me and my mum sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute, it's dark. What is going on? And they just <laughs> smashed it all over. I mean, it was absolutely just phenomenal to have been there. And I think I was at, was it his first um, century in England at uh, Trent Bridge when nobody else really scored a run and he saved the match for India? Was or it Old Trafford?
3: Like old Trafford his yeah. first time. What Old Trafford?
5: Was it Old, old Trafford? Well, yeah. So, and I, so I saw, I've saw, I seen, and I, and I was at, it was Trent Bridge when um, the Ian Bell run-out thing. Yeah. Um, you know when there was this big hoo ha because Ian Bell didn't like being run out, um, or whatever, and and you know and as that story unfolded, it was like you know Sachin had quite an influence over that decision to kind of withdraw that. And so I've seen some fantastic Sachin moments. Um, I've never touched him, but uh yeah, he's uh, I feel a bit bad that I've not picked him as one of my, um, you know, like who's going to give you a cap or whatever. But like I say, uh. I, um, I, tried, I tried to yes. get an
3: interview in South Africa with him. I stood there for ages, plucking up the courage to go over and speak to him. He was um, with Mumbai Indians having a, a net session. And I thought, ah, you don't get if you don't ask to you. So I walked about 50 yards across to him and said, hello, Sachin. I'm James from Yorkshire. Um, is it possible I can have a quick chat with you on video about your time with the Yorkshire County Cricket Club I'm over here with the club covering this Champions League It would be lovely to be able to actually just borrow you for five or ten minutes and have a, have a proper chat and he said oh, I'm really sorry James I'm not doing any any media um, but I made sure I shook his hand about three times during that conversation oh, and i didn't I didn't lovely. wash it I didn't wash it all day. <laughs> <laughs> is a rather special lovely little fellow. Very, very very polite to tell me he basically told me to F off in the most beautifully polite way it was it was very kind of him uh, and I uh, enjoyed watching him during that tournament as well he played against Yorkshire in that Mumbai he played against Yorkshire and uh, the likes of Steve Patterson were bowling at Sachin Tendulkar but uh, wow. it was uh, it was I lovely and he, not long after that he, he hung his boots up and uh, we never saw him playing again so uh, got him right at the end we're going to have to uh, start to draw a close to this um, 100 questions. We've got what now? Um, 85 us. We've got 15 left. And I guess we need to bring this back around to the IPL, don't we, in terms of uh, what's going to happen? And tomorrow's game, KKR taking on RCB. RCB have been uh, one of the, uh, probably have reached the highest in terms of uh, standard in this competition, but have suffered a couple of defeats in the last three games, and maybe you have started to show a, you know show the fallibility that's dogged them throughout their uh, time in the IPL, having never won it before. KKR um, are struggling down there in seventh place, having taken only four points from seven matches. How do you see this one? Who wins it and
2: why, Knuckle? KKR have got to sort out of that top three I think if they get that right uh, they're running out of time to some extent if they get that right they're a very dangerous team I would like to see KKR push push Sonuna Ryan up the order and open with him at least just to get some impetus into the into the into the top of the innings uh, probably they won't be able to get Lockie Ferguson into the into the 11 so I think I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop I'm going to jump off that particular bandwagon. Uh, but I think that RCB look like a really strong team and uh, I, I'm, I'm going with them to bounce back from a, a slightly strange, it was a very fun game on Friday against Punjab, but a very odd one. I'm going to take you back onto the bandwagon with Lockie Ferguson
3: because whenever I've seen him bowl in white ball cricket, he has never disappointed me. And yet he can't get anywhere near this team that can't win games at the moment. It makes no sense.
2: He's a really exciting player and could be a massive, uh, massive weapon for them. But uh, bowling up top, bowling, bowling at the death, which Cummins, who I think has done quite well this season, can't do. It's just a question of the overseas balance, and I just don't think that they're going to drop Pat Cummins. I, the only way I could see it is if they leave out Sunil Narine uh, and uh, and bring him in, but then you're uh, then you're probably short a little bit of a spinner, and you're probably not going to go in with with only one spinner. Abai, that game tomorrow, who wins it and why? RCB
0: wins it, but um, and that is because uh Brendan McCullum has suggested that you know they'll reject the the batting lineup. And I think since the reject will happen, they you know the new combination might take time to adjust for a couple of games. So uh of course that's bad from KKR's point of view, but I don't think results just come straight away. Uh and that's why I think because RCB have a stable lineup and they're doing well they'll probably uh win tomorrow as well
3: claire is it going to be owen morgan smiling or virat kohli
5: i think it'll be virat kohli because i've got the feeling that when he's uh, lost one he kind of comes back with uh, a you know reignites his fire and i think you know with kkr being slightly out of touch and uh, yeah with virat's fire ignited i just see it going rcb's way reignite my fire fire <laughs> Anand.
4: you know i'm with Nicole in which i think that kkr certainly can be dangerous i just don't know whether they have folks in uh, either form or they have folks playing out of order so I, I i think they need to figure out uh what that team composition is and what they can do to actually get some people like morgan going uh when we look at RCB, apart from the last match, they've pretty much been on autopilot. That top order of Maxwell, ABD, Kohli uh, and Particle tends to do well. Uh, and I expect Coley to, you know, he's had a couple of lean matches, so I expect him to jump back on uh, uh, with the next match. So I think RCB is going to win.
3: You're listening to the Cricket Budget Podcast, trying to raise money for children in need in India. Let's just finish with uh, um, thoughts to the the people in india at the moment struggling against COVID. i think today again they announced the highest death rate um, of the uh, the pandemic so far uh, and the most cases going into hospitals etc so it's it's not showing any signs of uh, slowing down at the moment knuckle i mean we've seen over the last week or so a lot of people saying should the ipl continue should it stop i mean i'm very much of the opinion that the ipl stopping wouldn't make any difference to the pandemic um the ipl continuing Probably makes a lot of people feel a lot better in a horrible world that they live in at the moment. Um, where, where are you on that? And can can you see any
2: any reason why you'd want to suspend it? I think if it were going to happen, it would have already happened. Uh, the only the reason other leagues have stopped, like the Pakistan Super League and indeed English football last year, is because players within that group got got ill or coaches. You saw Mikel Arteta got COVID. Yeah. Uh, well,
3: Mikel arteta getting tested positive See, uh, kind of brought the house down and everything else went from there
2: pretty much and then there are a few games a few other games I think it was the it was the atalanta for the valencia game i think it was the uh, one of the champions league games where there was that clearly should not have gone ahead uh but but did and then with the psl we've seen cases in the bubble the ipl bubbles worked really well i have been reading quite a lot of Stuff about this this week. I'm still of more or less the opinion that I don't think that the that the help that uh, uh, that stopping the IPL would be able to give is worth it. Uh, I think that the uh, stopping stopping it and whatever resources you could free up is minimal, and I think wouldn't make much of a much of a dent. And we are seeing it starting to be used now as a vehicle for fundraising efforts and a vehicle yeah. for for um, resource. Uh, raising efforts. We've seen uh, the Pundia family now has donated 200 oxygen concentrators. Uh, we've seen other players. Uh, Shikhar Davan has announced that he's uh, going to be donating his prize money and, and more. Um, and there are other players. Uh, Chipping in Jedevon Nardka is another one. Obviously that doesn't you know, charity is not a substitute for effective government action uh, and effective uh, effective public health. But, when, it-
3: but, but But when that's not coming, you're not left with too much too many choices, are you?
2: No, no, indeed, um, and it is it is necessary, but not sufficient, or not even ro- remotely sufficient. And the IPL is starting to step up a little bit uh, more. Well, we're going to see. I think uh, tomorrow, RCB are going to be wearing a uh, um, a special blue uh, kit for. Uh, as uh, to try and raise awareness of of COVID, I mean, uh, which is you know a, a small thing and might might help in in some way and might be a a good source of fundraising. And, and, and
3: they've they've donated money as well, haven't they? As you know, the the, the kind of gone. I, I actually I, I was critical on our WhatsApp group this morning, as you saw about the the um, the blue shirt. But having watched um, and looked into it a bit further. It seemed to be quite a well-rounded kind. They've obviously sat down and thought about what they're going to do as a franchise RCB, uh, and it was donations. It was raising awareness. It was the blue shirt. It was you know, It seemed to be kind of an all-encompassing kind of strategy, just rather than just throw a few quid at it.
2: Yeah, I think so. And, and they've done this previously with uh, the green shirt that they wear every year to highlight Bangalore status as an eco city and as a city that's really trying to conserve water and has been over a very long time i think that actually those symbolic gestures are important i think it's been i think a lot of the discomfort that i've been feeling has been the fact that the trappings of the ipl seem to be going on regardless of or what of what's going on and with no real nod really to what's yeah. going on in the commentators doing little psa's but it's all kind of individual responsibility and wear masks but we're not seeing we're not seeing black armbands we're not seeing you know a I minute mean, silence before the game we're not seeing uh, we're seeing, we're still seeing the fan wall and the and the celebration. We're still seeing the car being advertised in this in this very um, almost crass way. And I understand that the sponsors have the uh, are a big part of the tournament. But I'm I not,
3: not going to count this as a question because I've only got six left. But you know damn well that none of those commentators have ever ever sat
2: down in one of those cars, don't you? Well, that, it's the same script. It's the same script, uh, and, and that's how it, that's how it goes. and Maybe they've been driven to and from the stadium and one. I don't know, uh, but. Or, or i think those trappings are important uh actually those those symbolic gestures and those those bits of public symbolism are important uh as well as the fundraising efforts i completely understand the discomfort particularly when it's in delhi uh with what's been going on in delhi yeah. and and the and the crisis the overcrowding of crematoria the impossibility of getting oh, op- it's horrific it, that- It's starting to supplies are starting to get into delhi a bit more now of oxygen with the with the us lifting its ban on exporting materials that is going to start to ease but it's going to be a while before we see that happen so i completely understand the discomfort i completely understand the the urge to say it's taking up resources uh when we need absolutely everything but if it were going to happen it it would have happened already i think uh, in terms of stopping the the ipl and i don't uh, this is a very difficult question to answer in terms of In terms of the data, but I don't know that stopping it would actually make enough of a difference.
3: No, I I don't either. And I think it makes more of a positive by continuing and giving people something to look at each day. Claire, um, when you look at it, I mean, somebody said to me the other day, it seems really crass that they're playing, millionaires are playing cricket under the floodlights when people just over the wall are dying in the streets is there a, i mean that that's a very stark way of putting it it's not as simple as that obviously but is there any of you that kind of feels a little bit uneasy by the cricket being played at this time
5: uh, i guess slightly but i think what for me what's you know it's the um the commentators and the players constantly reinforcing the messages around social distancing match you know mask wearing washing hands and stuff like that. So it's a really good way of kind of trying to connect with people and get those messages out from really important figures. And as we've sort of talked about how important cricket is in India, for me, you know, is it throwing a bit of lifeline and using that media channel to get to, you know, positively reinforce the messages around it? Because like you said, if if the IPL stopped, there wouldn't be funds immediately directed to helping the people who are dying, not die, if you know what I mean. It's not like, it isn't a, either it goes to funding the IPL or it goes to funding the health of people. It just, that's not how it works. So I think, you know, with the fundraising efforts and the donations that players are making, the acknowledgement that they're giving, talking about it and... Raising awareness around, you know, the the basics of COVID, hand washing, mask wearing, social distancing, stay at home. For me, it's a you know it's a good way of sort of reinforcing that and getting messages out there.
3: The reason we wanted yeah. to do this tonight, and the reason we wanted to raise some money for the children in need in India, and obviously, uh, yeah, if you want to, if you've already donated or you plan to donate to another Indian charity, go for it. Not, wouldn't be precious about that, but got loads of listeners that um, uh, live in India. Obviously a lot of Indian um, fan badges on, on this service as well on the cricket badger podcast through the IPLs and through the uh, India against England series and in the summer, obviously uh, India are coming across to England as well. So it feels like I've become a little bit Indian over the last few months because of all of the, uh, the cricket I've been covering for uh, in India and uh, England taking on India as well. So, um, Thinking of you, stay safe over there and uh, look after each other and get through this because uh, it looks pretty horrible from where I'm sitting and uh, thinking about you and our thoughts are with you at the moment. I've got four questions left on today's podcast. That's one to each of you. And let's just say, who wins IPL 2021? Very, very simple. And uh, let's start with you. Who takes the title this time around?
4: Mumbai Indians because they've been there, done it before. They have the right squad and they're rounding into form. So if this continues, Mumbai Indians are going to be a huge, huge
3: contender for it. I've left myself no supplementary questions now, have I? I can't come back to you, but it would be a, a terrific feat for them to win three in a row. Knuckle, who wins and why? I said Mumbai Indians at the start of the tournament. I'm sticking with that. So that's two votes for the Mumbai Indians. abai
0: I'll go for uh, RCB. I think uh, this could be their year, even though I want the Capitals to win. so But I think RCB will uh, it's it's it might just be their
3: year, yeah. And Claire, it's the Punjab Kings, isn't it? Stunned silent at the... i get uh, through, uh, through uh, 99 uh, questions. She goes quiet on the 100th one.
5: No, uh, sorry, but I had an incoming <laughs> call and I couldn't figure out how to quiet it down. Punjab Kings are my team and, you know, like, they're the team that I'm fan-repping, but I just, I can't see... With the latest, you know, kale Rahul and his illnesses, I just can't see him doing it. So I'm going to go to my... My other team, which is Mumbai Indians. Um, I think there's players still to come into form. And, you know, after that performance yesterday, yeah, I'm going to go with Mumbai Indians.
3: Marvellous. Mumbai Indians win it then. That's my team as well. So uh, I'll be rather happy for that to happen. Three in a row would be uh, rather a big achievement. But there's a few teams out there that are going to have something to say about that as we go through to the final on the 30th of May. My thanks to uh, Claire, to Anand Abai and to Knackle for joining me on this extended cricket badger podcast thank you for their extra time today um hopefully you've enjoyed listening to it and if not it doesn't really matter just donate i'm going to leave the link on the at cricket underscore badger twitter feed if you could just donate a quid two pounds whatever you can afford to spare and um, go to the children in need india appeal and um, because they are going to be struggling over the next few months there's going to be some families ripped apart by covid and uh, whatever we can give to help out that nation Um, will be, I'm sure, gratefully received. Now, thanks to you for listening. Obviously, IPL Daily Podcast will be back every single day throughout the rest of the competition as well. Not every one of these podcasts will last two hours, I promise you. And uh, we'll see you again tomorrow.